Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? You sound all right. How do I sound? <laughs> you sound you sound surprisingly good. Is this is this LTE? This is LTE. You're kidding. No. Oh man. Yeah, Verizon. Good old Verizon. <laughs> so the backstory is that we we <laughs> I can't stop looking at this picture. <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to record thirty six minutes ago and I was I was going to be ready. When all of a sudden I my home internet went out and uh just like a hard stop, like nothing loaded. And then I, start, I started getting a activation page, like what you would get if you have. When you don't, when you don't pay your bill. <laughs> no, more like if you have a brand new, like like brand new stuff, you know, like you just moved into Cable Town. Like you just moved here, you got your Comcast box, this is what you see. But like actually trying to do the activation doesn't, doesn't do anything. And so you had the good idea. We were texting and you told me to use my phone, go to the Comcast site and see if they tell you that there's an outage. <laughs> and it it worked. I logged into my Comcast account and it, it gave me a message here that says, hello, John. John <laughs> all caps. John is in all caps. An outage has been reported in your area. We expect this to be resolved by today. And then you, you can describe, I sent this to you. <laughs> you yeah. We'll include this image in the show notes or somehow in the art, so everybody, all of you deserve to enjoy this. But Merlin, for the historical record, can you yeah. describe this this image? Sure, sure. I, I think it's uh, it's clearly uh, it comes from the same grand tradition as the uh, blinking under construction GIF from back in the day. Um, I guess the, <laughs> the primary feature is a, a big white van that says Xfinity on it. Right, close enough. Right, this is a, this is going to be a repair guy, and then a, a picture of a stock art guy in a red and black check shirt with a hard hat uh, climbing a yellow ladder. Right, so 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 far so good. It's an image to show you that, that we expect this to be resolved by today. It gets interesting though because the ladder is situated with a very strange, uh, incorrect drop shadow. He's basically it appears to be about to fix an eleven foot high orange safety cone. It's a lot higher than eleven feet. I think. I think it's about a fifteen foot safety. The, guy, cone. the guy's there's there's one orange construction cone on the right side of the page that's upright. That's at least ten feet high, and another one, another safety cone next to it that's fallen over. And this guy on a ladder is uh, he's on a ladder and he's he's behind the cone. He's probably about five feet behind the cone, climbing a ladder. Oh, and did I mention there's also a dog chasing a cat? <laughs> In the foreground. And then the really subtle part is in the upper right-hand corner, for reasons I'm not entirely sure of, there's a bird flying by. <laughs> you do, you really have to see it to appreciate it, but he looks, he looks like he's there to fix the safety cone. And uh, anyway, they're working on that. Why? <laughs> Why? Why? Why is there... <clears throat> Why? Why is the time to put a drop shadow on everything? But they aren't right. <laughs> the drop shadow on the ladder has no relationship with the cone that he's theoretically fixing. It's just the drop shadow stops. It's almost as though we're seeing the cone drop from the sky, just right next to where he happens to be climbing a ladder to nothing. <laughs> so you pivoted. So I pivoted. Now we're doing it over LTE. Yeah. Like I should probably close this, but I kind of feel like I can't. 
I, I told you, I'll tell, I told you when we were texting, this is nothing against Cable Town. They're a great company. But I swear to Christ, every time I see or hear that word, Xfinity, I just, it, it makes me seethe. And I can't even tell you why. I mean, in the same way that like Farfic Nugan in the like late 80s was funny, like Xfinity is offensive to me. Because that's their whole, their whole branded line of something involving a cable lifestyle in your home. Is that right? Or, uh, or, or business? I think that's what they would tell you. That that's probably probably the exact words that they used. Uh, uh, that when they came up with the idea, that they would stop call, just calling themselves Comcast, and that you know that they would that Comcast would be some kind of parent brand for all of their various endeavors. And now, like their Comcast logo, now they've they've taken the NBC Peacock. It's you know mm-hmm. part of their. Like they're a content company now. They have a they have NBC. They have Universal, and so, like the the cable business is is now Xfinity. And I believe that what you those words you just used is probably how they 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 probably pitched it. That they would use the, uh, the phrase SMB probably for small business. Do they still use that? You still hear SMB? Uh, nope. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I I think it's it's you know it's funny because you think about think about like when Dropbox came along. And one of the, gosh, half dozen things that was so mind-blowing about Dropbox is they were doing something that had been very difficult for any number of reasons to do before, not least because being a commodity or being a utility is not interesting and it's not sexy. And having dependable, you know, file syncing in that case was, was an unsolved problem that was not, on the face of it, that profitable, right? So um, there's so many things, you know, setting aside the fact that the sync actually worked, which was mind-blowing. But, I mean, you think about it, you're a cable company. Now, I'm sure you've seen that graph that's gone around about how the cable companies have, like, come together over the years. You know, like, in the 80s, there was, like, 30 different cable providers, and now there's, like, four or whatever. Yeah. So I imagine their thinking was, like, we've got to have some kind of a way to brand the notion of this coaxial cable coming into your house that's going to give you a suite of services, right? You got your internet connection, you got your TV, you, you, what else? You got, oh, well, you got the, like, the home monitoring, right? You can get like security. Isn't that part of the Xfinity package? I believe the it is Xfinity now. Xfinity yeah. lifestyle. Right. Yeah. You get your I mean, phone. It's not just a coaxial cable where you, where you watch sports. No, this is an entire lifestyle of Xfinity. That's your, your uh, landline telephone service. Yeah. And they really want you to get that whole package, boy. You call them up for anything, and boy, they really want to. They, what, what is it going to take to put you into a phone today? <laughs> I have it. I have the thing. And we don't. We don't have a single landline phone that's actually hooked up to a, a phone jack in the house. So we have a phone number, and it never rings. But it, it costs. Really? I think it costs less than if we just had internet. I don't know. I'm it's due. So weird. I'm overdue to call them and to go through the pantomime. I'm years overdue of the 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 like. I'm sure Syracuse probably does this. You know, once a year, like he has like a reminder once a year because you really need to. You call them up and say, "I'm going to cancel my service," and then they say, "Oh God, no!" And then they give you know, cut you a deal and give you faster service at a lower price. You know, like you're a new customer. Because if you're like me and you're a dummy and you signed up a couple years ago and you just let it go. Your your promotional rate ended at some point, and now you know I pay I don't know two hundred dollars a month for something I could probably you know pay a lot less for. Right, that that happened to me with AT and T. I need to carefully look at this month's bill, but I, I called them up uh, to to I think I was calling partly because there was a weird charge. I guess I was also just asking about iPhone update availability. Anyway, I ended up calling them, and you know the the drill where they like want to talk to you about the special offers and stuff like that. 
Ugh, that's and, why I don't you know, do it. No, no, it's the worst. But I have to say, you know, actually, AT&T, uh, in my experience, I don't love that service or company. I mean, I really don't. But the, the people that you end up talking to are pretty great at AT&T sometimes. But long story short, uh, this this woman was like, well, did, you know, were you aware that like you could really bring your bill down? I was like, yeah, tell me about it. What do I have to do to bring my bill down? And she's like, well, we can just change it to this family data package and deedly deedly dee. And now my, my phone bill dropped by like $100. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But I'm, of course, I'm naturally uh, very you skeptical. Know, very skeptical because you figure, I was like, and so of course now I'm looking for a catch guy. Where I'm like, oh, what does it mean? We're re upping for like another five years. We got to get a Samsung tablet. Like, what is it? What, what's the downside of this? It's like, no, it doesn't just, you just pay less money. <laughs> is that something you'd want to do? I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, it it's is... the Stockholm syndrome. You know, I'm just right. like, she's being so nice to me. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to, I, I, you know, whenever I talk to a customer service person, I'm terrified. I, I really don't want to incur their wrath because I don't know. There, there's a few ways they can help you and about a million ways they could screw you up. All right. Or, just, yeah, make things worse. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden you're, you know, you're signed up for a $300 a month international data plan. Yeah. You're getting the, uh, <laughs> the, pl the platinum overnight web package and <laughs> they go daddy you. <laughs> I always feel, used to feel sometimes, they've gotten better at this over the years, but with GoDaddy, I used to feel like I was running down a hallway while a dozen frat boys were trying to hit me with a sock full of pennies. Like, ow, ow, ow. Can I just, no, I don't need anything tonight. I don't need anything overnight. I don't need anything platinum. I just want this domain. I, I, I don't think that, I don't think Comcast knows what to do with their money. I really don't. I mean, they've spent a ton of it here. I mean, it's, you know, this is Cable Town. And I've said this before on the show where they've built the tallest skyscraper in Philadelphia. Um, and now they're building another one, like one block over, that's going to be even bigger. Um, and, and nobody really knows why. Uh, you know, it's that they've just got more money than they know what to do with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about this in this way too much, but sometimes it seems like you've got. In the case of these, like especially like legacy carriers from back in the day, you've got, well, there's the stuff we made money with in the past, like a million years ago. There's the infrastructure that we built, like all the investments we made uh, over the years. And then there's this rapidly evolving market for what people actually want. And all of that stuff that we see as being very valuable just simply does not register for most people. And in my case, in San Francisco, I mean, I get one dot on uh, of coverage so much of the time with with AT&T it's which luckily is great because I don't use the phone hardly at all but you know it's just it's interesting to me like how you take being a commodity business you know that's been around for a long time and you know because of the nature of the business can never really be that innovative that fast so what do you do well you sell iPhones or you sell Samsung tablets or whatever but it's interesting like what they want in the case of Xfinity like, it's like here's what we want you to know us for we want you to know us for this thing called Xfinity and, you know, the way that they're actually making all their money, who knows how they're actually making all their money, but they want to be known for as well as this like lifestyle product that's completely up to date and innovative, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? You know, it's, yeah, it's just that so. you, you, when you're talking about like fiber and stuff like that, that's not something you do as easily as you change a logo. I mean, these are, there's a lot of infrastructure behind what all these companies do. And certainly you can spin up various kinds of data centers and CDNs or whatever, but at the same time, I mean... That's all just changing so fast. It, right now, Comcast is a coaxial cable that comes into my house that lets me stream things, and you know, and use the internet. But we don't have cable TV. We don't, you know. I yeah. We should talk about my MLB experience. Another great one. But no. But for me, that's just a, that's a dumb cable that comes in, 
and it's a zero or a one. It either works fine or it doesn't. And that's that's the entire Xfinity value proposition to me. Dogs chasing cats. Yeah, look at that guy. See, the cat's got a drop shadow. Yeah, they it do. Looks like it's probably noon. It's in. Looks like it might be inside Johnny Ives' bubble. It's very white, except for the Xfinity van and the cones and the man and the bird doesn't get a drop shadow. How come? How come the? I just noticed this. There's another detail here. The icon next to get a. It says get a one-time text when service is restored, and the the icon next to it is a a power power it's outlet. One hundred ten. You know, plug. It's an American yeah. electric plug. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> what are the other? I see there's like a, a read more. It's like a three dot interface here. If you click those arrows and go to the other pages, what do you get? Uh, it's it's changed because in the meantime, I've gone through the, the one. I, I signed up to get that text. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a Hello John Xfinity Fall TV sweepstakes. Uh, you can learn more about the NBC's The Voice. Uh, uh, what's this one here? The second one is refer your friends to Xfinity and get up to $500 in Visa prepaid cards. Can you imagine how much money went into the series of meetings about Synergy? <laughs> I swear to God, Marlon. Of which that's the result. I got I Hold on a second. I got to send you this. The dog, is, the dog is still there chasing the cat. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I got it. And the bird is still there. The bird doesn't move. <laughs> what what horrific dreamscape is this? Hello, John! All caps. <laughs> Refer your friends to Xfinity Register Trademark and get up to $500 in Visa prepaid cards. So you got you, you got you got a whole bunch of uh, kind of foreshortened, like, perspective uh, having Visa cards. <laughs> you got Despicable Me running on a screen and a tablet. With a with a game controller, someone yelling into someone's ear on a laptop image, and then uh, a dog chasing a cat the other way. <laughs> one goes one way, one goes the other way. So what? There's the other. Yeah, one. that's that's terrific, John. You should do that. You should refer some people to uh, to Xfinity. Yeah, I feel like I'm doing that right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's an unrecognized revenue stream right there. There's I like there's. I always have so many opportunities to suggest new cable. Uh, providers to my friends just why? having drinks honestly um, there must be some reason for it, but why would they why would my reward come in the form of prepaid visa cards like i'm a <laughs> drug dealer or something why wouldn't okay, no. they just give me credits on my bill <laughs> i don't know or special access to behind the scenes stuff from the voice <laughs> i really don't get it Look at that, the grand prize you can win a ten thousand dollar ten thousand dollars I don't know if that's cash or in Visa cards. Plus a trip for two to the Voice finale in Los Angeles. Amy would love that. I bet she loves the Voice. I I, I can't help but feel that ultimately Comcast should be very like, uh, or anybody like that with with mil- a company with millions of customers, all paying like a hundred to two hundred dollars a month for service that you know it was like a one time infrastructure layout to you know put the cable in the streets and through the poles and everything and into everybody's houses. I mean, obviously, you know, there's to get from where nobody had cable in, in America to where everybody has cable running into their house. That's an accomplishment, right? But that's mm-hmm. all in the past. It's all there now. It just runs. It should, it should really just be like, like a 25 person company. <laughs> 
Really? Mainly just answering calls. Yeah, just answering some calls and, you know, mostly mostly just, you know, field, you know, guys who go out in the field and, and troubleshoot problems and stuff like that. Like, there's no real reason for Comcast to exist as a very large corporation. Well, and that's the irony. I remember, gosh, years ago, you talking about, wasn't that, was a Comcast where they, you had to get the special DRM card for your cable box? Oh, the guy, yeah, yeah. He came out and he brought one that didn't work. Exactly one. <laughs> and then he came back two no, weeks it was later. Two. It, was a, it was a two cable card uh, TiVo. And he came out and it was like, he had one that worked and one that didn't. And he's like, I'm going to go get some more cards. And I was like, well, are they, are they in your truck? And he goes, no, no, I got to make it. I have spares? Yeah. And like the next time, another, you know, it was always a different guy. It wasn't like the same guy. Yeah, kept but you're coming. skipping the great part because then you, didn't you have to make a new appointment? Yeah, I had to make a new appointment. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing Friday? It's like, I guess I'm waiting for you. No, and ultimately, uh, a guy came and he had one <laughs> always with only two cards every time and i'd always say like well can you put on like on the third visit i was like can you please put down to tell the guy to bring a whole box full of these cards and he was like well we don't usually do that and i was like well do you think maybe you should i was like this is the third one just bring a whole stack of them obviously some of these things work some of them half work and some don't work so we wound up with with uh like on the third one we got a fully working cable card and then the second cable card got everything except hbo and like a showtime or whatever you know like whatever the pay channels are the premium stuff and i was like good enough <laughs> so like every time we wanted to tivo uh like an hbo show we'd have a 50 percent shot that it would be just a black screen for the hour of the broadcast so we just set up the TiVo. I say we. Amy's actually the, the TiVo runner of the house. She set it up so that any of the HBO shows that we wanted, we would. Um, she would just set the TiVo to record all of them. You know, like so, like when the new episode of The Sopranos came out, just keep recording it over and over again. Because if you do, you know, and there's like eight copies of it on the TiVo, one <laughs> there's a good right, chance yeah. one of them is going to work. Xfinity. It's all about improving your chances. Now we that was years ago. We now have a, a new TiVo that I don't know what it's got some different kind of cable card. That right. It, all, it's, it's good now. But the the beauty part of your what you're describing here, where you get the 25 people answering phones, is uh, I mean I I, uh, I I I cannot begin to. Well, first of all, let's be honest. You're not gonna. I mean, I'm gonna troubleshoot the shit out of everything that I can. Like I just sent you that Earl, right? For, right, right. Like I know how to get to the Motorola surfboard. I know how to go in and do things. I know how to hack on this a little bit. I know how to go unhook and rehook every cable. And you know, I, I, I learned a long time ago not to be that guy if you do call. But if I've reached completely reached the end of my rope, I will, I will, you know, you end up calling them and you go through the thing and you try and get, you know, pushed up to higher level tech support and stuff like that because everything apparently is a black box when it comes to doing anything <laughs> with coaxial cable. And the, the irony is that, well, first of all, when they do send somebody out to your house, you know, whenever, usually a week later, it's a complete, in my experience, a complete crapshoot what you're going to get. Yep. So like a lot of times you get like, you know, Bob Hoskins from Brazil and this guy comes <laughs> out in his white, you know, F-150 and he's got a, he's got a magnetic sign on the side. <laughs> It's like the equivalent of like holding a finger up for a mustache and I work for Comcast. He's got like a magnetic sign that goes, it's okay, it's cool. I'm actually Comcast, even though he's not. He's a contractor. And these guys come out there. And what's funny is like every fifth visit, you know, like every two years, I get somebody else to come out for some reason. There'll be like, there's been like probably eight people that came out and made a big mess. And then every few years, somebody comes out and cleans up the mess. This woman, <laughs> this awesome, this awesome Gulf War veteran woman came out and she's like, well, I can tell you why it's not working. 
because these dinguses just keep hanging up all these junctions. You realize you're losing this much of a percentage of it. I'm like, wow, you're magic. She's like, yeah, I just took out about 40 feet, 40 feet of cable. That's why you weren't getting a signal because they just kept spaghettiing new stuff in. They don't want to drill a hole. Oh my gosh, I'm going to need a special form for that. But you know, it really depends on what you get. There could be people who come out and just don't have the slightest idea how to fix anything but the most trivial thing. And other people who like you get like $500 worth of service from them. I, I've had the similar experience, exact same. Where it's sometimes you know you get you get the Robert De Niro character from Brazil who <laughs> right. who actually knows how to fix things. Uh, and I, I remember one time it was the same thing where there was a guy who was like testing our signal outside the house, and he was like, "It's pretty good out there." Yeah, you know, and, you know, like he was good enough for even even that. He just said pretty good. He was like, "It's all right," because but here at your in your living room, this is this is terrible. You're losing something's going on. So he like. I don't know. It was like some kind of terrible spider web of junctions can, and stuff. I, I had no idea. I thought it was a zero and one thing, but apparently you lose a lot of, I guess, decibels or whatever of strength yeah. with each, you know, however many feet of uh, coax you add. It can actually yeah. has a huge effect. And if that zero, if the one, the one will flip back to a zero, and it just won't be enough to drive your router. Right. You know those those, those like uh, coaxial like Y splitters. Oh God! Yes, yeah, so I, he, I sure do. He came up. He came up from like our downstairs, like our basement, with with this one, and he's he's. This is what he said. He took out, and it had like, <laughs> it was like it was literally rusted. It was <laughs> it was rusty. And he goes, "Well, I took this out," and he goes, "It wasn't even doing anything. It wasn't. There wasn't. You know, like the split wasn't going anywhere. It was just somebody somebody used it to you know string more cable together." We came home one day. <clears throat> came upstairs. Everything was dead. Dead, dead, dead. The bill was paid. Everything was dead. I went downstairs and I did my usual troubleshooting on the incredibly ancient equipment. And it was really obvious that someone had had basically had cut the cable to our house and then wide off the cable to go into our neighbor's house. And at first I thought it might be our, our, our Mookie neighbors wanting to watch the Super Bowl for free or something like that. But I called, <laughs> I called Comcast and what it became apparent once we got it, one of the actual useful people out there was that that was just what they thought needed to be done. They thought, oh, we don't need this cable over here. Obviously, there's only one house here. We'll cut this one off and just put this one here. So they cut off, literally physically cut off the cable and then reconnected it to our neighbors. <laughs> like, you know, like, like a 1920s uh, switchboard. <laughs> I think I've told this story, but it was many, many years ago. Uh, but when I was, the best cable experience I've ever had was when I was in college. Um, I had lived like my last few years in college. We had a big, big six bedroom apartment in West Philly, um, and six you know six roommates. Everybody got a room, and we called to get the the cable service. And the guy who came out was uh, I want to say Russian, but you know he had some kind of Eastern European accent. And uh, he's hooking up our cable up, you know, on the up and up. And uh, I forget who it was. It wasn't me, but one of my roommates said something to him about. <laughs> so talk, talk a little bit of the code. Yeah. <laughs> Do you offer, said, any, uh, you offer any extra services? <laughs> he, goes, <laughs> he was like, he goes, I've heard about there's some ways that you. <laughs> Here's what I remember. I don't want to say his name because I, I don't want to embarrass him, but he, it, he called he them smoker channels <laughs> he was like you're you're here to do something so good a way that you can get the smoker channels for free <laughs> and the guy just stops <laughs> and i thought at first when he stopped that it was like like when you offer a cop a bribe and then all of a sudden it's like now you're in trouble for for giving a you know 
the copper bribe and the guy says and said would you you know <laughs> would you like something like that and he's and and we were all like yeah yeah what what, what would it take and he goes he goes, well, I could come back to, I don't work tomorrow. He goes, I could come back here tomorrow and, um, and do this on my own time. <laughs> and it would, and I forget what he asked for. I don't know, like 200 bucks or something. Um, and we all agreed. Yeah. So right there on the spot, he called in and we heard him. He called into like his supervisor and said, yeah, I'm at, uh, whatever our address was. He goes, yeah, they, they no longer want service. Yeah. They don't want any, they can't afford it. They, they don't want any, uh, Thing. so just cancel it you know shut him off uh and he goes all right i'll see you guys tomorrow and he comes back the next day and he's just like in street clothes and and he had like a box <laughs> and he gave us it was like a he he brought everything we didn't have to do anything he just had like a cable box and he went out and climbed up like the pole outside our apartment and next thing you know we had a cable service that got us everything and we never paid it wow. we never paid anything for it we paid the guy like 200 bucks one time <laughs> And then uh, that would have been that would have been back then even that would have been like at least fifty bucks a month, something like that. I, I might be slightly misremembering. It might be that we maybe we had to. No, I don't think we paid anything. I think we paid nothing. We just had it all. That's and how even, it worked. But that's how it worked back then. I mean, if you had the right box with the, I mean, it was all it was all physical stuff. I mean, right. I remember around that same time, maybe a little earlier, there was an old trick with the kind of cable boxes we had for maybe Cablevision or whatever it was, where you take a certain kind of cardboard. There was a certain thickness, and you fold it on the end about certain amount, like a half an inch, and you slide it into the top of the cable box in the little crack, right? The little, you know, and you pull it back, and suddenly you get all the smoker channels. <laughs> you get everything. <laughs> really? Just yeah, yeah. Well, that basically, it meant you get Showtime, HBO, Cinemax, and right. whatever the other one was. Yeah, movie channel. We got everything. We got pay-per-view. Uh, You're kidding. No, we got, because I remember I used to be into boxing, you know, not like seriously, but like. That as was like expensive. A, Those things are expensive. Yeah. Like Tyson, it was like, you know, in the nineties and Tyson was still fighting. Uh, uh, I, the one I remember specifically, we even, you know, we used to invite people over cause you know, you couldn't watch those things without, uh, you know, without paying. But we, I remember the one, remember the one that was crazy. It was like boxing was like pro wrestling back then. It was the mm -hmm. one where the fan man, it was an outdoor fight. And, uh, the guy, the guy on a, uh, parachute came into the ring in the middle of the fight. Remember that? Oh no, I don't remember that. My God, there, a, it, this is this like really happened. Like in the middle of a Mike Tyson heavyweight bout, this guy named Fan Man. I don't know where his name came from, but he had like a, a parasail, and he like came into the ring, and they had to like stop the fight and beat this guy up and get him out before they resumed the fight. Uh, Riddick, Riddick Bow versus Evander Holyfield. Oh, all right, it wasn't Tyson. Holyfield. Look at that! Wow, that was real, and I had that. We got that for free. And he pa he passed he passed in two thousand two. I'm sorry to say. Oh, that's it's, it's fan man fan passed. Man. I didn't know that. R.I.P. Fan man. That wasn't that many years after it happened. It was probably like what ninety five. Ninety six. He's a parachutist and paraglider pilot from Henderson, Nevada, known for his appearances. His most famous appearance was the November sixth, nineteen ninety three boxing match between Evander Holyfield and Riddick Bowe at Caesar's Palace. Fanman made headlines when he used his powered paraglider to fly into the arena, eventually crashing into the ring. Damn. <laughs> oh, man. Dogs chasing cats. These dogs chasing cats. You gotta, you gotta fix... The thing is, the, the cone that's standing up looks like it's fine. It <laughs> seems like he would the work, wrong one. It seems like he would work on the 12-foot cone that had fallen over, but, you know, I'm, I'm not an Xfinity uh, mechanic. <laughs> I want to take a break, and I'm going to uh, thank our first sponsor, and these guys are great. Um... Need. This is our friends at Need. Need is a refined retailer 
and lifestyle magazine for men. Each month, Need sources and curates a selection of exclusive products from brands around the world, and they're presented in a monthly editorial, a lot like what you'd expect in a, any contemporary men's magazine. Um, they shoot all their own photos. They hire independent photographers, so there's a lot of a lot of independent photographers who are making good money from this too. Um, they just celebrated their first anniversary on November 5th. Now, as we record, that's just yesterday. Literally, I mean, this is we're talking right on the uh, the anniversary. And so they're launching, uh, to celebrate that, a full redesign, introducing an all-exclusive, all-limited edition uh, collection with their favorite brands from the whole past year. And they've also launched a new concept called Essentials, Essentials, where uh, they're offering ongoing, ever-changing collections for men's everyday staple items, stuff you need to, uh, you know, like grooming products and stuff like that, coffee, uh, stuff that you want to, you know, keep coming in on a regular basis. They've more than doubled their return window for stuff that you want to send back. Uh, they've launched favoriting of products, which is makes it sort of like a, a private need-specific version of Pinterest for the things that you like. Uh, and best of all, this is very important for my audience, um, they've just launched shipping to Canada. Um, so in celebration, here's Finally. what they've got. Uh Talk show listeners. Now, this is the thing with Need. Need is they're sort of like a, a lean and mean organization, uh, and I've heard them do the same thing on on other shows like ATP. They don't have any kind of special coupon code or anything like that. You just sign up. Uh, you go to uh, neededition.com, I believe is the URL. Uh, you that's where you go to find out more and sign up. Need edition, not not edition like math, like edition like. It's an edition of the magazine. Go to neededition.com, and that's where you sign up for this thing. But here's what you can do as a listener of the show. After you sign up and you buy anything, just shoot them an email at hello at neededition.com. And in the subject line, put first anniversary. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll look at your – they'll write back to you. They'll probably say something witty. Um, but then they'll look for your email address in their orders, and they're going to throw in a whole bunch of extras. Field notes, T-shirts, socks. Um, they just just I just got email from Matt at Neat Edition that they just got in literally like like yesterday. Uh, these new Ebbets Field hats. They're gray wool, really cool baseball caps with the Neat Edition logo. Navy wool, really really nice stuff. Brown leather, adjustable strap. Like these are like fifty dollar baseball caps. Uh, they're gonna first five ten orders that come in. They're gonna just throw those those hats in there. Uh, Everybody, though, who orders, and you send them an email at hello at Need Edition with first anniversary in the subject line, you'll get uh, free stuff. And all of those people, everybody who does that and sends them that email, they also, they're going to add those people to receive 25% off everything for the next three months. That's huge. 25% off. So go That's to a lot of percent. Big percent. It's a, so it's, go, a great, it's a great organization. It's a great service. And, and Matt, I mean, it's amazing what he's done with that in one year. They are really amazing. I think it's one of those things, too, where it's 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 not like, oh, it launched and it got huge immediately. But it's uh, I think it's one of those things that could be huge pretty soon because it's very, very cool. Because it just service. works for a certain kind of brain. Like, my brain needs exactly that help. I don't want to see, like, 11 different things that I could get. 11 different shirts or 50 different shirts like show me this cool thing it's it's very well curated that's exactly the same here i can't i can't make decisions i don't want to see 13 different shirts just show me one and then i'll give it a thumbs up or thumbs down 
Exactly. Uh, so my thanks to them. No dogs, no cats at need addition. Mm. I don't believe. My goodness. I've got, uh, you're, are you a Levi's 501 guy? I am. Yeah, me too. Uh, so I've got four pairs of Levi's 501s that look like they fell off a hobo. And I have exactly one pair of pants that fits me. And they're from need. I got one <laughs> pair of jeans that fits me. It makes me realize what pants that fit feel like. So I don't wear them too much because they're a little bit jarring. I I have bones to pick with. I do wear Levi's 501. And a couple of years ago, I tried something else. I think I got something. I went to the, got them from the Gap or something. I don't know. But then they they didn't work out either. But my problem with them is they they're what I want is I just want the exact same jeans over and over again. And right. and that you can't do that. They're always changing the name of the the denim. You know. You know, they've got 40 different names and styles of denim. I just Oh, want... my God. Go to the Levi's site. It's completely overwhelming. Right. I, I was going to try the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to find exactly this one, get this skew, buy five of them, and then right. rotate them for the next five years. Yeah, I, I tried to do that, and you can't, I couldn't. The, the ones I bought the last time aren't there anymore. And I bought them, and also the sizes are different. Like, I, I bought a new pair with the exact, you know, and they even synthesized right on the patch on the back and now, oh, there's, now you've got to I, I learned this from a, a female friend of mine in college she's like whenever i go try on anything in a store especially if it's not like super expensive if it's anything that's like like you know anything that's not basically like evening wear take four into the dressing room and try them on in the same size and i'm like you are high there's absolutely no difference and there's there totally is a difference and look no further. Go grab, after, after the program, go grab a bunch of pairs of 501s and look what country they're made in. So if you're wondering why, I mean, I've got some that are from Mexico. I've got some that are from, uh, like, Central America. I mean, just to say that it isn't like there's, like, this one lady in San Francisco that's making all these jeans. There's a lot of variation. I, I bet the cotton is different in, in a lot yeah. of them. you got to try them on. Yeah, it's, uh, but that's, that's, like, what I I I... I think you're exactly right, but I, I hate it because that's not what I want to do. No. The whole point of knowing my size and knowing that I want Levi's Model 501 is I want to just order them online. I, like, I buy clothes like other people buy beer. Where I just, I'll just go like, eh, American Apparel, white t-shirts, boom, send me a pack of those. That's, that's, that's how I, I want it to be almost like a paper towel dispenser at my kid's elementary school. I, I want it to be so straightforward. I buy exactly the same socks, exactly the same shirts. And then when they when they change for some reason, you're like, oh, this got really this got a little too silky. It seems really weird. I feel really undermined by the brand. Yeah. Um, I feel like Steve Jobs sort of had it right, where he where you know everybody thought it was sort of eccentric, but where he was like, this is it. This I bought. He had that Japanese designer give him like seventy five of those black shirts, and that was it. I think it's the smartest thing in the world. I mean, right. you just don't want to have to, you shouldn't have to think about that stuff. And if you're, the, the problem is once you become a little eclectic, then you kind of got to become really eclectic because you can't have like fucking clown shoes that you wear every day. <laughs> You've got to have some variation, you know, you have your driving he was, moccasins. He was, the smart part was getting like 75 of them at once rather so than smart. say, just get the 10 that you need. And then as they wear out, you'll get more because you can't trust that they're going to be there to get more. You really got a reason. Up. Also, good reason to maintain your weight as you get older. It is. Think it's a good it. motivation. Good motivation. Uh, Real time follow up. <laughs> the story of parachutist James Miller, aka Fan Man, is tragic. He he uh, he took his own life. He was a young man. Took his own. Oh life. Well, yeah, that seemed unusual that he would pass away at that. At that yeah. Age. That's well. That's. But you I know, he had, he had his he had his moment. You know. I suppose it's not surprising that the guy who parachuted live into a heavyweight title fight at Caesar's Palace had had some 
mental health issues. And I don't even mean to make fun of it. I, no, no. I you know, uh, I'm not, you know, what he did in the fight was funny. Him taking his life is, is tragic, but it's, I suppose it's not that surprising. Did you ever read up on rock and rolling? No. You know about him? No. The rainbow wig, John 316 guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, as, a, as a sports fan, you should know he's, he's, he's had a lot of balls in the air over the years. Is he still around? I don't remember. I, I think, you know, it started, as, but it's funny because in my head, I think, what are the two of the two characters you remember from early adulthood like that would be parodied on The Simpsons, like at a sporting event? Well, there's the guy in the clown wig, and there's the guy who holds up the John 316 sign. And the first amazing thing is that that was the same guy. He changed tack at one point, and he went from rainbow wig to John 316. So that was him. Uh. It was the same guy. But I think at some point it ended again. <laughs> as long as we're making this really sad, I think it. I think he it ended up with some kind of uh, hostage situation at some point, and he, you know, got got taken away. So, so for those of you who don't know, this guy, what was his name? I remember him. Rock and Rollin' Rainbow. <laughs> Roland Stewart. There he is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Roland, Roland Stewart. How do you yeah, spell yeah, Roland? Yeah. Send it on the uh, L L E N. Stewart. He was a guy who would, uh, he would he would obtain tickets for sporting events that were optimally placed so that he would be on TV. Like like you know he was he he knew which tickets to buy that would be within the camera angle that you know would be frequent and and he uh, what did he do first the rainbow wig. Yeah, started out with the rainbow, but I mean, but it's sort of like Marlin's guy, where you're like, tell me more about this guy. Like, how is it he's always where he's at so many games in so many places, and he's always he always ends up on camera. And then, of course, enough to become a, a bit. Started out with the rainbow Afro wig, and then later on, he went to the uh, John three sixteen. All right, John. And then he used to. I remember he. It was always football game. I remember I, he probably did everything, but I remember seeing him on football games, and he would. <laughs> he must have had a. a a lot of money because you know it's there were expensive seats near the front and he had to travel a lot because it wasn't like oh he he was a guy in Kansas City and he was always at Kansas City Chiefs games no he was like every he was like at the the game of the week every week wherever it was it says I love Wikipedia his first major appearance was at the 1977 NBA finals by the time of the 1979 MLB All-Star game broadcasters actively tried to avoid showing him then you get him here behind the goalposts, Olympic medal stands, Augusta National Golf Club, 1982 Indianapolis 500, behind the pits of Gordon Johncock. Uh, and eventually he got commercials and stuff. But yeah. I'm surprised that he got he got in at Augusta. Because Augusta seems, it seems like the type of place where... They, is that the Masters? Is that where the yeah, Masters that's is? the Masters. They wouldn't hesitate to uh, you know take a guy out maybe, behind Maybe he had a green jacket, like a green blazer. <laughs> <laughs> and a rainbow wig. So yeah, like the, he's like he was like the old time predecessor to this year's Marlins man, who I have to admit I got I got very into this year. With uh, <laughs> did you watch any of the baseball? He know I did. Yeah, it was fa- it was absolutely fascinating. And so this guy and I, I know there's a whole backstory behind this. And he like, but it was pretty amazing because uh, I can't remember where it started out, but it was I th- for some reason I think obviously it was most striking in the Kansas the games that were in Kansas City. Because it's yes. a complete, solid, cerulean sea of blue. I mean, blue. I mean, it's just solid blue. And then this one guy in a traffic cone orange jersey that says Marlins on it. And he is right effing behind home plate. I mean, he's right there. And he does this great thing where right, right when the pitcher's starting to throw, he stands up. So you can see 
His Marlins jersey. <laughs> he, I don't know what his problem. It seemed to me like he couldn't stand still. Like I, I am a baseball fan, so I was mostly watching maybe, the maybe game. Maybe he had piles. I don't, <laughs> maybe he I was carbuncular. He didn't seem to be paying attention to the game on a regular basis. At times he was, but he, there were he would chat up his uh, seatmates nearby sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, you know, again, like you said, it was he was quite incongruous in the games in Kansas City. And hats off to the people of Kansas City for their their. Con- like, I don't know if how many thousand, 45, 50,000 people fit in that stadium. And I would say 49,999 of them were wearing Royals blue. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was an impressive sight. Uh, they had a lot, you know, a lot, I think a lot of spirit, too. I mean, that was, that was a great series. And they, they fought hard. And those fans really, man, they lit that place up. Yeah, it's it was great. And but the, this one guy wearing a bright flaming orange Marlins jacket and hat really stuck out. And he literally right behind home plate. I mean like maybe like out of the 45,000 seats like he was always in maybe one of the two seats that he would be most visible behind the batter. Like there's yeah. only like there's one on the left and one on the right where where you're that visible and he was in that seat all the time. I don't understand how can you guarantee how can you buy that? I don't I, I somebody I think Jason Snell sent me an article about this and I, I looked at it briefly. I think he's uh, like a medical professional, like some kind of a dentist and like he gets these tickets somehow. But I mean, <laughs> if you think about all the work that goes into that, it was in it was in San Francisco too. Right? right. Wasn't he, he, he was yeah. he, he, let's be clear. He was in San Francisco for a few games, then he went to Kansas for a few games and, and so forth and came back. It's yeah. I mean, it's he was it's at a every real game. dedication. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, uh, I, I, you know, and who knows if... Well, what if are those, like, like $1,000? Oh, I think for the World Series, it was a lot more. I went on StubHub because I got curious, and I was like, well, what would it cost? And, and like, the seats in um, the, what's the, the, is it AT&T? What's the, the Giants That's ballpark? what it is this week, yeah. Yeah, well, the Giants ballpark, AT&T. AT&T park, yeah. Yeah, AT&T Form, park. Formerly SBC, formerly Pac-Bell. Uh, uh, it, it. The ones that are that close, right behind home plate, were thousands of dollars on StubHub, and it, it it's like everything on StubHub. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a it's a negotiating thing. Is, but is StubHub like a kind of gray market? Is it like eBay for tickets or something? Yeah, yeah, it's ama- You've never used it? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's truly amazing. It's a great, great service um, where you can resell tickets, and they automate it, and they 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 totally you can. You know, like they stand behind every ticket that they sell. So you don't feel like you're it's not like eBay, like StubHub, because, you know, like with eBay, if somebody rips you off, you you they have like a mediation. But StubHub sort of stands behind it. It's like StubHub buys the ticket from the person and then you're buying the ticket from StubHub. Oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. So really right? what, what you would hope eBay, what, what PayPal originally kind of seemed like an es- almost like escrow. But like really hands on, they take it and make sure it's yeah. Real and they and they have um, offices, physical retail establishments in a lot of I, a lot of major cities, most major cities. So if you buy tickets at the last minute, you can go pick them up. Like I, I bought tickets for um, a Yankees game in in August for the it was Derek Jeter Day, and I didn't know if we were going to be able to go. And I l- bought them the day before, and. Um, it was so easy. I'd, we were going to be in, in New York anyway. Um, this is why I bought the tickets for a thing on Saturday. Uh, so we were staying over, and just there's a place in Midtown. You just go in, and you show them your ID, and then they just handed me an envelope with the tickets. That's and, amazing. You know, 
I had bought them like, you know, a day before. But and even, I didn't have to wait. I mean, it's a lot. It's a, it certainly must have been a lot of dough. I guess maybe he got them for free or discounted or something. But it's a lot no. of dedication. No, there's no way he had to buy them out. But it's yeah. just crazy because somebody has that seat. If there's like a season ticket holder, and you're like a fan of the Giants, why would you give up that great seat unless he really made an offer you couldn't refuse? And it's just so funny because it's for his purposes. It's not just like he wants a good seat. He wants to be, he clearly wants to be on TV. There's only like three or four seats. That I mean, are, into pound for pound, he's on screen more than anybody but maybe the pitcher and the catcher. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you think about it, I mean, that guy is, except for occasionally, like he might be obscured by the umpire for a second, but he seems to have a really good sense of like where to be to make sure he's on camera. Yeah. Definitely. It seems like it, you know, and it's and it makes a big like even be, being in the front row makes such a big for his purposes makes such a big difference compared to being in the second row. Yeah. <laughs> it's like something from a different age, though, because if you think about guys like the like the parasailing guy or a rock and rolling or, or a Marlins guy, I mean, you know, it, it used to be really hard to be famous. Yeah. You know, it took a it took a lot of work to be famous. So you, you know, you had to have a publisher for a book. You had to have an agent to like try and even like beg to get you on TV. It's just like today there's there's so many more avenues for becoming slightly famous that I kind of, I kind of admire the uh the grunt work, you know, on the ground <laughs> of a medical professional who decides to to jet between cities to to be on TV in the background. It's it's wacky world. You know the the I'm sure you know this cuz you got got into him too that the Royals tried to buy him out of those seats. Are you kidding? You didn't notice there no. the, the the after the first game the Kansas City Royals or you know like the the organization approached him and said you know we we you know we'd like you to move we will offer you we'll trade you for this these tickets you already have for this seat we'll give you a luxury box or you know a seat in one of the luxury boxes and you know you'll get the full I don't know you know food and beverage whatever uh Please, please give up please. your seat. And he was like, no, you know, like, and he, you know, declined because his whole goal, you know, that was the whole point. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, I think that, I don't think they quite understood the psychology of the guy, the, the psychopathy, you know, that he's that lucky. Was, he was lucky he didn't end up floating in whatever, I guess the Kansas City River. That's, that's, I could see them getting pretty miffed about that. You know, you think about what that ad space costs for all those, you know, the ads that are green screen back there. And all the kind of, as they say today, optics of like how you present, you know, your brand. It must have been super annoying to them. Yeah, it makes me wonder how many people out there are going to be inspired by the guy. And then if, if it's going to start like a resurgence in, uh, you know, a, yeah. uh, what would you call it? A, a stick out, a, a, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, everybody needs a project. Um, it's important to stay busy, you know, as you get older. But it's like you never really notice the people. There, there are always people behind home plate or behind the end zone. You know, there's always fans in the front row, and you just never notice them, really. I mean, I guess every once in a while you see Jack Nicholson at a Lakers game or something right, like that, right, and they right. show it. But, you know, you just don't notice the fans until they're <laughs> wearing bright orange Marlins <laughs> I had, I had a I had an uneasy moment in, in one game that made me feel really old. There was this, I'm guessing, probably the greatest dad in the world that had brought his kids to the game in Kansas City. But there was this probably like 11-year-old girl um, sitting in like the fifth row. And I was like, man, it's like 11, 15. She's, <laughs> she's out pretty late for a kid her age. And I was hoping the game would end because, you know, it was a school night. 
<laughs> you don't think about it as like take your dad taking you to the World Series. You become an old guy and you start thinking about bedtime. <laughs> what if what if she has a math test tomorrow? Exactly. Exactly. Is your kid still a night owl? Yeah, he is. He's a natural born. And, and as soon as Saturday hits, he, you know, he's, you know, school starts at 8 a.m., you know, Monday, Tuesday, you know, right through Friday. And then as soon as Saturday comes, he sleeps till noon. No kidding. Wow. Man, I I, uh, I hate that daylight savings time. I, I hate oh. to jump on this bandwagon, but man, I'm so relieved when that ends. It makes our oh. life so much easier. I couldn't disagree more. No, wait, you don't like the savings time. Uh, oh. I don't like that it's like, it's trouble. It's very hard to get my kid to go to sleep when it's like even eight thirty and it's still light outside. Now you're saying you, you're pro daylight savings time. You like the uh, extra daylight at night. I do. Hold on, but let's. I mean, let's thank a sponsor and we'll go with it because that yeah. was the whole thing I wanted to talk about. Today, oh, I'd love to go savings. head to head on this. I think this is uh, something America needs to hear. <laughs> People have very strong feelings about this, John. Uh, our second sponsor is our good friends at Warby Parker. And you guys know Warby Parker. That's the uh, independent eyeglass eyewear company um, that was founded simply on the basis that buying eyeglasses should not cost an arm and a leg. Uh, shouldn't have to pay 300 bucks just for a regular pair of glasses. And like we were talking about with the Levi's before, you ought to be able to buy them right there online and just have it be easy and not have to go into a stupid store and waste a whole day. Um, Orby Parker, if you haven't heard, what you do is you go to their website. They have a whole bunch of glasses to choose from. You pick a bunch that you like, pick different ones. Then they send them to your house for free, just empty without, you know, any kind of prescription lens in them or whatever. And you can try them on, see if you like them, you know, see if there's something stupid on the uh, the sides that you didn't notice when you were looking at them straight on. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you, You're making you fun of me. No, I'm saying. Sneaky Pete's? <laughs> I loved your sneaky beats. Uh, but I'm saying I'm the type of person where I would I would ordinarily think I'm never going to buy eyeglasses online because I have to see them in person. I cannot judge this just by pictures. Well, that you don't have to do that. You judge them online looking at the pictures just to have them sent to your house. Then you get five of them and you can actually sit there and examine them in your own hands. Uh, you pick the one that you like and then... Boom, a couple days later, in they come with your prescription uh, lenses in place. Um, they also, there's a they, they, they do a great, great thing. And here's the thing. They start at just 95 bucks. You go to warbyparker.com, uh, and they start at 95 bucks. They have showrooms in some cities. I think New York has it. Does San Francisco have one? I don't I, know. So, I, don't, I don't know of that. I, I've, I've done the home try-on um, several yeah. times, and it's, it's amazing. Home try-ons. Because you go. never know. That's the thing. I remember one time a million years ago, I went to, well, I won't say the name, but it was a site where you could go and like upload a picture of yourself and try the glasses on online. And then I got the glasses and they were like clown glasses. I had no idea of the actual, <laughs> like, you know, you can't tell until you put them on your actual stupid face. All right. There's just no way. So here's the other thing, though. Um, they, for every pair of glasses that they sell, they distribute a pair to someone in need around the world. They've partnered with nonprofits. There's one called Vision Spring. Um, but that's it. 15% of the world population, a billion people around the world uh, lack access to prescription glasses. So if anybody out there who has bad vision, and my, my uncorrected vision is at this point in my life, absolutely horrible. Like I would be, I, I don't even know if I could cross the street. 
Uh, if you think about what that would be like not to have glasses, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I would even function. I, I mean, I, the only thing I could, I can see about six inches in front of my face uncorrected. So think about the fact that there's a billion people worldwide who don't have access to glasses. And, you know, like if you were a kid, how you couldn't even see, how, how are you going to learn anything? So they're doing a great thing. Every time they sell a pair of glasses, uh, they send one to people in need. I think that's a huge part of it. And it doesn't mean, you know, the prices aren't jacked up. It's not like you're paying double. You're paying less than you would pay at an, uh, you know, typical uh, eyeglass place. Uh, all of their glasses include anti-reflective, anti-glare coating. There's no additional cost for that. There's no upsell on stuff like that. Everything comes with a really nice case, um, cleaning cloth, everything you want, stuff like that. Really cool kit. It's it's great stuff. We have I don't know. I've lost track now of how many Warby Parker glasses we've got here in the Gruber household. Uh, sunglasses, uh, everything you, you might want. Um, and here's the thing. This is new. They've got progressive. I think it's new. Progressive lenses starting at 295, including the frames. Now, progressives, this is for my demographic now, are uh, <laughs> that's where you have a distant prescription at the top of the lens. Well, I've got a, that. And a transition to a reading lens near the lens's bottom. And it's, there's not like a hard line in between them that, that says bifocal. It's just, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. They, they call it a digital freeform lens, which is the most advanced progressive technology. Um, it's applied digitally with a computer, so the design is more precise than traditional models of progressives. Um, so they got that. That's, that's where I'm at in my life with the glasses. So yeah. uh, anyway, here's where you go to find out more. Go to warbyparker.com slash the talk show. Warby Parker dot com slash the talk show uh and my thanks to them if you need glasses or you need sunglasses just go check them out because uh you get to and and what are they going to do here there you, you use that url and you get free three-day shipping with your lenses so uh why not all right daylight savings time well, can, so can you I don't do a, do a quick check-in have you checked on your cable just to see <laughs> just i'm just curious if that guy ever fixed the cone <laughs> Hold on, let me see. Uh, all right. if, this, if this actually works, it's it's gonna be mind blowing. I didn't get a text from him, so I'm I'm not. Well, it's a one time text, so you're only gonna get it with you know, if you get, if you're plugged in. Oh, with the, uh, you know what though? No, hmm. I'm on my this. I I was smart enough not to do it on the machine where I was recording our our call on, uh, but it looks like it is working. Yeah. Hey, Mazeltov. No text from them though. Hmm. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. You want to keep slugging along this way? Yeah. Well, we can keep going. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't. I say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if the cone falls over and it's not hurting anybody, just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> what if that dog ever catches that cat? <laughs> All right. So daylight savings time. <sighs> So you you're you're opposed to it, and because of the summer months, where it packs the daylight. At I see, I feel like we've got the whole thing backwards. I feel like I I could totally get behind, because uh, we it's not even like a six month six month thing anymore. I thought it used to be, but and I know they're always they, they changed everything around. It's real confusing. It, it's very confusing, and I don't think it's, it's the it same. starts later and ends later. Now, now I know they changed it, I believe, so that it ends after Halloween, right? On purpose to to make it safer for kids, which is great. But then I think it starts later too. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. 
I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah. But uh, I it, it but the but the fact is though that there's more of the year that's daylight savings time than there is that standard time. Hmm. Right. Oh no! I'm sorry. I take it back. They moved it back. It's so the next one, 2014. It started March 9th, ends November 2nd. Wow, you're totally right. December. Wow. Right. So yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. just it's just November, December, January, February, December, so, so January, two, February. So what? Did, yeah, three three quarters of the year, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like a one third, two third type thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. Four months. Yeah, you're right. And I I can't help but think that. Uh, it, to me, they've, if they're going to do something like that, it's backwards because it's it, – uh, I'm, I'm amenable to the argument that it, when it's 8.45 p.m., 8.45, and you're trying to put your kid to bed that, and, <laughs> and it's enough daylight where you could be outside playing ball, that's a tough sell, right? Because right. like, now you feel like you're almost lying to your kid. You're, you know, <laughs> how can you say it's bedtime? You it know seems, that it, does, it is. It does seem dishonest. <laughs> right. It's like you're saying it's bedtime and your kid, hopefully, hopefully your kid has a window in their bedroom and they can look and see that it's daylight. It's, you know, I understand that's a hard sell, but those are the months where I, I wouldn't be opposed to, to rejiggering it like in the, the around June, you know, circle four months around June where it's longest and take an hour of daylight there. My problem is I, I just get so... I don't want to throw the word depressed around because I don't. I don't have like a clinical depression, but yeah, I do maybe you suffer. Get a little, a little blue. I get. I would call it like a melancholy. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like this right now. This like today. I feel a little melancholy just because it's right now. It's it's a rainy day here in Philadelphia. That's probably why my my cable went out. Uh, it you know Comcast doesn't really hold up too much in the wet wet <laughs> weather. Uh, that's uh, a that's a lot to ask of hardware, John. <laughs> well, you know that's true, though. You remember because back when I did the show with Dan, it really was the case. This was before the guy pulled out that rusty Y thing, you know, <laughs> Y splitter. No, it's true. We're on rainy days when when Dan and I would record the show years ago. It, he would always he he could tell because it was like uh, my it was like all broken up, like the wow. Skype audio was all busted up on a rain. It was very consistent that if it was rainy, my my connection could not handle Skype. That seems crazy. Uh that's f- fixed, I think, but it's, but anyway, it's a rainy I'm day here. I'm with you, here. though. It's like my wife gets home from work, and it's dark, and that's, that's you know, it's no fun for me. It's certainly no fun for her, but for people who have, like, an actual job, you're coming home, and it's in, a- after the time goes back. Right. You come home, and it's dark at night. It's totally depressing. Yeah. I, when, I used to, when I used to work many, many years ago at the, the Philadelphia Inquirer, it was a type of place, type of gig where it was, you know, you'd show up at nine and you'd left at five everybody left at five you know like 455 everybody's putting coats on it was just that type of office there was nothing in the department i worked in there was nothing you know no reason to stay uh and i remember leaving the one time it was like it must have been like the first weekday i guess the monday after we set the clocks back and it, it was pitch black it's just dark as night and you as you leave work at five and it just was very depressing i i think well, let me let me. This is what a dummy I am. Let me ask you this: Why don't they just change? I, I here's the thing. It would seem really weird if they just changed time, and we said from now on, like daylight savings time is what we're going to have all the time. But it sounds like that's kind of what you're advocating for. It's like why don't that's we just the- change time so that we just we just toss in an hour here, we change this stuff around, and now we uh, we have light at night. That that's kind of really what you're saying, right? That is what I'm saying. That makes it seem doubly crazy that we change it during the year. 
that it's it's that going back and forth. So it would be nice if there was. I mean, I know I can't do a lot with the rotation of the planet and the angles and stuff, but still, you know, I mean, that that's the part that's weird is the is the changing part. I think. I, I think you could make a case, and I'm not a scientist, John. But I think you could make a case for saying we just need to permanently do this. This needs to be just time now. I it and it's just it's such a kick in the teeth. I feel that when you've set it back in the fall, that you know, like because you know it, the days were getting shorter as October went on. Anyway, you know, you could kind of you know you can see like, hey man, I remember when it was still light out. Yeah, at I really, I really noticed it this year. It, it seemed like I, it happened fast. It, I don't know. It did seem like that to me, too. But it's, uh, I, I don't know. When I was a kid, it seemed like I was ignorant and stuff like that. I didn't even know what time it was most of the time, I guess. But <laughs> uh, as an adult now, though, and I feel like that sudden extra hour jump of darkness at, at what should be a reasonable time of day, not like what most people would still call the afternoon, not the evening. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it, I don't know. I'd almost rather even... Uh, e- I would advocate switching to the daylight savings time year round. I would just say, let's just call that, let's set the clocks on that. And, I can't believe I've never heard of that before, because that, that seems like the kind of uh, uh, wackadoodle campaign that I would have heard about by now. And it kind of makes sense. Let's just get one. Guys, here, here's, your, here's your slogan. Just pick one. That's the slogan. Is it that, does seem, though, it seems like one. a hard hard thing for them uh, to ever get off the ground. So what's the, what's the downside of permanent daylight savings time? Because I have to tell you, just in fairness, I could get behind your wackadoodle scheme as long as it's consistent. The hard part, the hard part is, like I say, like in the summertime. I mean, we just need an idea, and I understand the light changes. Like I say, angles, rotation, but like there just has to be some idea that if I'm, I, I don't sound like I'm trying to do some kind of social engineering trick on my kid to get her to go to bed at two p.m. or something like that. You just need, well, to, down, need to pick one. The downside, whenever I uh, uh, get on my hobby horse about this, I always hear, I hear from the morning. It's the morning people. Is that you know all of a sudden now the morning people have it's mm. they're, you know it's pitch black and you know they always trot out it's always and you know, everybody always trots out the children but then you know kids are waiting for the school bus and it's pitch black at you know seven fifteen in the morning or whatever and that's no good yeah. um, I don't know and to me and it's like I, I somebody's I think there's like a farming angle on it but to me it's like well the farmer should just get up when the sun rises don't you know don't worry about what time it is you know? I don't understand what what the why are, why are the farm, farmers so time constrained do they need to get to AA like why why does it matter what time the sun is up is the grain store closing like wh- wh- I don't understand exactly how that you know what I'm saying? It, it only makes sense if there's other stuff the farmers have to do as well as work in a field. Otherwise, the clock, clocks don't mean fuck all. You just go right. work in your goddamn field whenever you need to. It isn't like you look, you look, you pull out your pocket watch and go, "Oh dearie me, it's four. I better start wrapping up." No, get back to work. Farm, farm. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. And I did hear now, you know, and and just right here in the, in my own household, you know, as I endlessly bitched about the daylight savings time roll out last week uh amy even said well you don't take the kid to school every day it's pitch black it was pitch right. black last week it's nicer now that we you know look it actually looks like morning when i'm taking them to school uh so i appreciate that i don't know maybe the answer is is that sometime around november like through from november through like new year's we should all just stay in bed mm. and well nobody... i think the, the the depressing lack of sunlight really supports that i think uh, if we all just agreed to just be a little bit more logy you know Loki our way into Christmas. Yeah. Well, is, is there also an angle of energy saving? Isn't that another angle of it? Oh, definitely. I think that's. I think that was the explanation behind the like why uh, we kept it, and well, and why we've expanded it. Mm-hmm. 
like why we've added made more and more of the uh, of the calendar year daylight savings is that it it I don't know I'm, I'm not quite sure what the argument is though I have to be honest with you John I I'm still deeply confused just about time zones alone I I was talking to Mike Hurley the other day and I was asking him whether they get Christmas in a different season than we do I honestly. Don't understand anything about how any of this works, and I still have to basically mentally draw a picture to understand which time change causes what difference. My brain is just not wired to totally understand this. I'm bluffing my way through this a little bit, but I honestly find everything involving time completely bizarre. Well, you know what the uh, China does, right? Hmm, What did did you know that China does not have? They don't believe in time zones. Hmm. So China is a land revolutionary. Well, it's a landmass roughly comparable to the United States. You know, it's about, you know, it's the same sort of shape, too. It's, you know, wider than it is tall, and it's about the same width. Like, if they went with time zones, they would span four time zones like the continental United States does. But they don't do it. They just have, like, the clocks are set to Chinese time, and that's it. And so if you're... On the well, regardless Western. of like how how far north you are, because I mean that, that well, no makes a west huge it would be, it would be no east and west. Not no, but north. I mean also you know as you go higher up, like in Washington, like their days are really short. You know what I mean? As you go further up, oh the top, right, right, the days right. get shorter. Yeah, yeah, and like people in Florida get a little bit more, uh, a little bit. It's more all sunshine. completely perplexing. It if somebody told me that this is one of those uh, Capricorn one situations and the whole time thing was a bluff, I would have no trouble believing it. I find it all completely perplexing. No, but it's it's like totally serious. We're like they're, so they like have in the one West. time in China. It's just Chinese time. That's and I it. think it's I think it's optimized for their East Coast because that's you know that's where all the big cities are. Wow. Uh, and but if you live on the in the western side of China, you, the sun doesn't even come up until like eleven a.m. And you just they just set their live their lives accordingly. Like maybe I don't know. Maybe school doesn't start till eleven over there. I feel like I've just... seen like three different documentaries in the last year that lead me to believe that the whole modern concept of time and being on a certain time comes out of the railroad schedules. Is that right? Is that where that comes I believe from? It. Yeah, could be. Yeah, because yeah. I guess there was a time when like each train company had their own time that they kept, and it became very important. Obviously, if you're you know changing trains, that all's got to work together. I don't know. Yeah, but it's nice though. See, it, there is a certain appeal to that. So it's like in China, it depends where you live. If you think of uh, what you know, like what what is a good bedtime for a child? You know, it might be off by three hours depending on if you're in the east or the west. But if you tell somebody, I will, we will, we will have this conference call at two o'clock in the afternoon. Everybody, oh, right. everybody knows it's at the right time. I think that's very appealing. That's why I mean, like, if I could ever get my brain around it, going to pure GMT. I find something very appealing about that. Like it's always this certain time. Like that's 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 the one we all refer to. I mean, even just you know trying to schedule stuff with people in this. You know, increasingly it's the central time zone that really screws me up because it's just enough off from the two yeah. main uh, areas <laughs> that it completely yeah. screws with my head. Yeah, I'm not good with that either. And and you know what? You're right. The central time is worse because so I did the layer tennis commentary. Um, all right. I guess it was yeah. Two two weeks ago. Must have been two weeks ago. It wasn't last week. Uh, and that all runs on Chicago. Chicago. Time. Yeah. And I, I, it's good for me. I was ready an hour early. <laughs> well, that's the funny part is, you know, I'm on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast. And, you know, the East Coast wins always. You know, right. Eastern time is the winner. It's the canonical time in America. And everybody else just has to, like, do the math. Central is the only time zone where I periodically go the wrong way. 
Like right. I know you guys are three hours later than us, but for some time, for some reason, sometimes when I'm when I'm doing the mental math, I, I get the central uh, time zone wrong. So I'm, I'm basically putting them in the Pacific Ocean sometimes. Yeah, and it I don't know. It just doesn't seem. I mean, look at the timeline. Do you under Do you understand the international? Uh, what's it called? The inter international dateline. Like, no. do, do you understand that? No. Uh, I, I if I make diagrams and draw, I can I can somehow get. That's it. That's God. When we went to when we went to New Zealand, it still makes no sense to me that well, you guys had a crazy flight because you had to get all the way over to here before you could even have the terrible flight we had. But it was like a fifteen hour flight. But I remember arriving in New Zealand, and we felt pretty good. My wife had some nausea from you know traveling, but I was cock of the walk. I felt fine. Coming back from New Zealand, I was out for three weeks. <laughs> it was, if I How found is that, that possible? I don't know. I found that to be worse, too. That, that getting back from New Zealand was... It, it just felt like... I felt like I had mono. I mean, uh, it I was... Felt, <laughs> I felt like I was drugged. <laughs> you know Michael Lop, Michael Lop lost a birthday. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, oh. maybe this was not the year. It was the, the second time later, I went. Later, yeah, yeah, you didn't go. Yeah, it was, yeah. Your, it was the second time I spoke at Webstock. And Michael Lopp got on an airplane in SFO the day before his birthday. And when he stepped off the plane in Auckland, it was the day after his birthday. That makes no sense. <laughs> I swear to God. That's it's so like weird. The, and you, know, and, you know what it's feel like to be uh, like a leap year baby. Yeah. And I... It, you know, yeah, I mean, he's a big boy. You know, he <laughs> yeah. wasn't he wasn't sad about it. But like I told Jonas, and Jonas was just blown away. I mean, it was like a nine year old kid, like to think that you lost your birthday that's, because that's you're, really unjust. Yeah, and kid. he like that was like the thing. Like when he went back to school, because Jonas came with us again, and then it was like, well, you know, what'd you what'd you do? It was like you went to New Zealand. It's like, wow, that's awesome. What happened? And then his story was my dad's friend lost a birthday and he like explained it and all of his friends were like that's outrageous that's the saddest story i've ever heard <laughs> if there's anything that can make kids unionize it'd be the but idea of like missing out missing a, a gift giving holiday right it just it does it confuses me how that could happen though it just seems like it should be a, a different time what what was he for uh, what was he for halloween this year um oh sherlock holmes Oh wow! I mean, with the with the hat and everything. Yeah, well, there's only really one way to do it. You kind of yeah. have to go. Uh, I'm just gonna go Cumberbatch. Yeah, but I I don't know that that's a. Uh, that's not canonical. Yeah, it's like it's not recognizable. You you're not gonna. You kind of got to go. Uh, I don't know what that hat's called, but yeah, the Sherlock Holmes hat. Right. That's cool. What what what? So does he read it or like movies? Like how did he get into Sherlock Holmes? Um, he's into the he's into the. Uh, the new movies, the uh, Robert Downey Jr. ones, right. enjoyed those very much. Um, are those are those I, kind of swashbuckling? Yeah, there's yeah, especially the second one. The second one's a little, it's it's you know a little Indiana Jonesy. It's not it's not a very intellect. It, you know, there's some of that, but it's it's a, a more action oriented Sherlock Holmes. Nice, that's a good one. My kid was uh, Hermione Granger from uh harry potter i saw the picture she was a dead ringer she it's, she kind of nailed it i think yeah yeah that's good it's it's you know but this was uh it was nice because the last couple years before that we'd done uh marvel related you know costume superheroes so i thought this was a nice change yeah jonas amy amy knocks it out with the the uh the costume oh, look at that there. photo look at that yeah. guy yeah it's got a little a, pipe in his hand got the magnifying glass oh my god that's so great i love his cloak yeah yeah good stuff 
Yeah. So Amy sources all that stuff on the internet. And... She kind of runs that joint, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same here. Same here. Yeah. He's getting older. I mean, he's ten, so he's. I think he's running out. But he's done. He's done just about all the big ones. He's done. Uh, I'm trying to think. He's done Buzz Lightyear. That was really young. Buzz Lightyear, uh, Han Solo, Indiana Jones. The uh, my my favorite was the Clint Eastwood Man with No Name. Oh, that was great. I remember that, that that his Indiana Jones was really good too. I remember that one. Uh, trying to remember what else is in there. Oh, Doctor Who. He did Doctor Who last year. That oh, was he's like uh, Matt Smith. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, he's, one. he's kind of my canary in a coal mine for what's happening in the world when I hear you talking about like Minecraft and YouTube and stuff like that. I, I feel like I'm learning a lot about what's coming up through yeah. you and him. Yeah. I'm looking, you know, Moltz wrote a YouTube book. Not a YouTube book, a, a Minecraft book. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Coming out, it's coming out, uh, might be coming out tomorrow. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to read it because I got to tell you, I, this Minecraft thing, I still don't get it. Terrified by it. I'm <laughs> utterly terrified. We went to uh, Scott Simpson's birthday party over the summer, and it was her first exposure to Minecraft on a screen. Because I've, I've, yeah, let's be honest, I've kept her away from it. Because right. <laughs> everything I've heard from everybody, you, you know me, right? Like, I'm, I'm not that guy. Like, she can play with, she can do stuff on the iPad. I'm not like, we're not crazy about that kind of stuff. But every, to a person, Every mom and dad says the same thing, which is there's the life that I had with my kid before Minecraft and the life after. It'll probably be fine, but I, I she's seven. I'm enjoying these days, and I, I, I'm so I'm circumspect. It's it's pretty immersive though, huh? It can be. It certainly you know, it, it the, the best I can get it. I I've, I really can't wait to read Moltz's book because I really I. I it's like nothing else that I've ever seen before. There is a way that you can play it like a video game where you're running around and there's these creepers that are like zombies that you have to avoid and right. you need to build shelter if, you know, for the nighttime. But that's not really, that's not what kids are doing. It it's really more like is Lego, the, right? Yeah, it's more like virtual Lego. Like like the Lego company sort of should have bought Minecraft. Like it's crazy that Microsoft, either them or Disney. Disney I can't believe Disney didn't buy them. Because I think I really think it's got staying power. There were so many kids in homemade Minecraft costumes for Halloween. Oh yeah, and, but it was yeah. a very inefficient. It was mostly you'd see a kid with a blocky kind of tunic and then holding up the box that should have been on their head because they can't see a damn thing. Yeah. But they, they were they were blocky McMinecraft or whatever his name is. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh... It's mostly about the building, the collaboration. You, yeah. The game itself, and forgive me because I I've never played it. But so basically, you start out in this world, and you got to stay alive. You got to build stuff. You have to mine, and then that enables you to get things. And then you make com combinations of different things make other things. That's kind of the idea. Yeah, and it's like you you dig to get raw materials, and then you can turn the raw materials into things. And the the whole game is super hackable. Like you just unzip a jar file and there's all, you know, it's like going into it, like in Mac terms, like go opening up the application package and you can go in there and right. change all the stuff out. It's like uh, res edit for pixels. Yeah, ex it very much so. It's exactly like the way we hacked our stuff with res edit 20 years ago. That's what the kids are doing with the Minecraft extensions and mod packs and That's stuff so cool. like that. Um but yeah, and it's like, and they play, you know, and this is the part where it starts to get like, hey, what the hell is, I gotta, I kind of have to step in here as a parent, like make sure this is all right, is when they collaborate on a server and 
and it's all open. This is the thing. Is you can get like, can't you get like your own? I was seeing the Penny Arcade guys were talking about this. Like you can get like a private server, right? If you if you choose absolutely to. no, and it's really like as a responsible parent, it's like you kind of you know you kind of have to limit it to private servers. You know, it's like you can't just go and play on the servers where people are you know you know could be anybody. It's like you know. So he's got one. Um, you know, it's cheap. I don't know. It's like three dollars a month or something like that. But Jonas has his own server. Um, it's like you know, like getting a web hosting account right. costs like three three bucks a month. Wow. And but then him and his friends, he just gives an address to his friends, and him and his friends from school can play together. And it's just like the six of them. And they get it's like a private room. Yeah, and you know, and they build stuff together. It's crazy. Like he showed me, like him and one of his pals from school built like a. a place for their characters to live like a skyscraper you know with like a you know pretty cool pretty it was pretty cool pad really uh like way up high though like massive massive building it's really pretty cool that sounds like a lot of fun i don't know i um it's very freeform that's the thing it sounds very creative and collaborative yeah and the thing is is the the company behind it it's it's really genius and it is sort of a triumph of openness where you know like i said the game is hackable um but if you want to play online it's not like you have to play with the official minecraft online server and you have to pay for it or whatever anybody like can run their own minecraft server it's all just you know you you know like the game is is commercial you have to pay for the game Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure but you you (laughs) do you license a, a copy like a seat uh, I don't know what we pay. It's not God, this has got to be so boring for people. <laughs> it's, no, it's like, I don't know. Let me understand. I, this television has channels. How does that work? Yeah. Do, you, do you pay to? How, how do you change them? Right, but like the the so, iPad app is like six ninety nine, and that oh, you can play it on an iPad. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah, but the, but it's weird though. The iPad one is weird. Like it's really it's like solo. Like you can't can you can't play the iPad one on the. I was gonna the say if it's Java. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know how they made the iPad one since the whole thing's written in Java. But anyway, you play on a computer and you can connect to any server and anybody can run a server. And so there's public servers where there are thousands of people running around and you can just set up your own server anywhere you want and have just you and you know your two pals. And you know it's nice and peaceful and quiet. Hmm. But you can chat, you know, yeah. while you're on the server and that's where, you know, there's some parenting that needs to come in. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, needs to, you know, can't just be how, how do you how do you if you do do you how do you limit access to that you got hours for that or yeah they got it's got to be like you know certain time you got to you know make sure your homework's done first and uh Jeez, my kid's in freaking first grade and by the time we pick her up from after school and she does her homework like we've got i feel like we've got like an hour before bedtime so maybe maybe the thing here is to just uh is to turbo like you guys do and just push push bedtime to like eleven thirty. well you can't do that <laughs> on a school night jesus well you know She'll figure it out. She could nap. She could nap during recess or something, I guess. I, I have to admit, as a parent, I do feel like uh, Jonas's school seems pretty good on homework. They don't. He seems to get a lot less than a lot of kids seem to now nationally. Are you guys a Common Core uh, state? No, okay. I don't even. I, I no, I don't think we are. Um, it, it just seems to me. I as a parent, I have the exact same perspective on it that I had when I was actually in school, which is this is bullshit. I've been, I, I you had me all day, right, right. Like that's a, a long day. Like eight a.m. till three in the afternoon is an awful lot of chunk of your time. Uh, it, why is there more work to be done? 
I don't. I, I've never. I never like understood that. It feels that. like a hack. It feels like a behavioral hack because, like with with my kids, she brings home like worksheets. Like right now, she's doing fractions, and so it's a lot of like show you know two fourths, show three eighths, you know, by filling in these pie pieces. And it it really seems like, and this is not bad, but it, it is what she did at school. It's just they want her to do more of it at home, which to my mind, like I get the idea of the repetition and practice, even the kind of you know, primacy and recency thing of trying it in different places. I, I can get all of that. But this is one of those few legacy things that feels like something from our childhood where really legitimately school was about teaching you to follow rules. And it was about teaching you to like habituate yourself to certain kind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, that has changed so much from when we were kids. I mean, I don't know if you ever have gone through stuff with your kid with like creative spelling where like kids are encouraged to just try to spell stuff. However, <laughs> oh, it drove me nuts. <laughs> it, did me, it did me at first. We had a conference with the teacher about it, but you know, when oh, I was a kid, God. there's no way you would see something on the wall outside your classroom with a typo on it. It'd be no, covered we, with red pen. Uh, uh, Jonas's school. I don't know when, I don't think they started trying to enforce correct spelling until fourth grade. Like, like first, second, third grade, it's to spell it, spell everything however you want. And somehow the teachers are adept at reading it. But I would, was like, I don't, I can't even. You got to unhook your mind and just. In my case, you got to read it phonetically. I mean, it depends I, on which teeth my daughter is missing because she'll pronounce things with a lisp, like when she writes it. But but I, but I, I was I was a little concerned in a way that I'm usually not. Where I was like, is this okay? Is she wired right? Like, should should that's we exactly be like, what fixing I this? I I had the exact same experience, and then I what opened my eyes is I went to I, one day I went to pick him up at school, and outside his classroom was the it was some project that the whole class had done. Everybody's was up on the the tacked to the uh, the cork board you right, know, that right. runs on the on the hallway, and I started looking at everybody else's in his class, and they were all exactly the same, like in terms of spelling, illiterate, and I, <laughs> right. <laughs> It's embarrassing at first because you're like, am I, is mine the only kid who doesn't know how to spell, you know, words? All right. I, I thought, oh, shoo, that's a big relief. I kept thinking there's got to be, we're going to get an uncomfortable con- teacher conference where they're going to say, hey, he's got to, you know. and then no, it never happened. And then like all of a sudden in fourth grade, though, they started like correcting their spelling and the kids were all like, what the fuck? Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I, you know, I, I get it. I think, I mean, it's, who knows why anything does anything, John? It's so, it's so conceited for us to imagine that we can understand anything as lay people about how something works out or doesn't. But I will say, you know, what, when we brought this up with our teacher, and I'm sure this is super interesting to people who want to know about the Apple ecosystem, but people, <laughs> um, but, but, but what we went in there, we're like, Hey, is this, is this a good thing? And she's like, look, it's first grade. You know, she's at that time six. Like we, I just want her to come in here and write as much as she can every day. And I was like, but shouldn't she just be writing a lowercase letter A 40 times on a page like we did? (laughs) And the funny part is she does. She loves she she, I think she has graphophilia. We put on a uh, like we put on like a uh, like a Harry Potter audio book when she gets home from school and she sits there and makes art and draws and writes for like two hours. I never would have. I I mean, I would have scribbled a little bit and colored maybe at her age. But now she's doing stuff. She's teaching herself cursive by tracing. I had zero interest in cursive when I was seven, six or seven years old. No, but she's me teaching it now to herself because it's fun. Because it's all, it, I guess, it just all seems doable. It's, oh, why, why wouldn't I just teach myself cursive? I guess my only interest in it when I was that early is I wanted to be able to read my parents' stuff, not like like diaries or whatever. But it seemed like my parents had this secret language that I couldn't understand. Like my mom would write a shopping list and I couldn't read it. Right, 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 right. 
Well, you know, it's, it's to state the obvious. I think, you know, when you have stuff that you want to read, when you have an incentive, I mean, the obvious example being like, oh, a list of ideas for presents or something or anything, like whatever, stuff on screen. And in my case with my kid, comics, like she can suss out a huge amount of the story from the sequential art, but then she can also like put together enough of the words to know what it says without me reading it, which I find fantastic. You know, it's, it's weird though. Cause like I'm, I'm, I, I have really mixed feelings about a lot of stuff with the school stuff. We, we've got the, the common core here, you know, which is the, I guess the progeny of no child left behind was lots of things you have to teach a certain way. You got to be tested a certain way. And some of it, did you have new math when you were a kid? Remember new math and your parents, yeah. parents were always confused. They, there's kind of a new version of new math that is completely mind boggling. Yeah. I didn't like the way they taught math. And it, it did. I, I don't think it worked very well for Jonas. I, I, I math is he's just not not a math person. Yeah. And I was I I took to math like a fish to water. Like I was always very very. I, I never. I don't even know how I learned everything. They you could just show it to me as a kid. Yeah. And I figured it out. Some kids just see stuff, and it's right. just in in. I really maybe because I'm a slightly visual person. I think about like some people people with perfect pitch basically see notes in the way that I see colors. People right. with math see relationships that I don't see. And I think some people are really just wired that way. And boy, God bless the man or woman who can identify that in your kid and, and know what that's going to mean for them both up and down as they go forward. Yeah. The thing that they didn't do, and I don't even know what the what the teaching method is, but they when I was in first grade, we memorized everything. You had to memorize 6 plus 7 is 13. 7 plus 6 is 13. Mm -hmm. seven plus, yeah, memorize them all. And we had speed tests. And I, that's all I remember from first grade math is, uh, you know, we'd get like a sheet with 40, you know, basic addition problems like that. And you'd only have like 90 seconds or two minutes to do it. And, if, you know, it was expected that some of the kids weren't even going to complete the whole thing because it was not just about accuracy. It was about, you know, getting fast at it. Hmm. Um, Jonas's school never, you know, encouraged any kind of memorization of anything. In fact, really, wrote, I just remember times tables like in third grade going on forever and ever. No, and in fact, they were allowed to, um, like with times tables, you know, like you, there's like the the matrix, you know, the six, you know, the numbers across, numbers down, and yeah. you you go down and over, and you can get the the product. They were allowed to use that chart when they take tests. Wow. And it, to me, is crazy because it's like, well, that's, that's what so the test slow. was when we were kids. <laughs> yeah, it and it's you know, it like, takes them forever to do to to complete a they, a math test. That's amazing. But, I, I don't know. In third grade, that's what we did every day is we practiced products, and then we had the same, you know, in a different order, like mixed up. But we did the same one hundred problems then, and that's what we did every single day. But I, you know. My take on it as a parent is I'm I I you know I'm certainly interested in his education, but I'm not going to pretend like I'm an education expert, and that the people you know who are education experts that you know just because this confounds my common sense yeah. approach, I don't want to be that guy, who, you know. Ugh. There are so know, many of that guy, John. Right. My wife does a well, lot of stuff with PTA. She's really involved in the PTA, and like there are so many of that guy. Or, or gal and it's just the person who comes in who read something in the new yorker and like they got some ideas about how to, how to really shake things up and it, it's not that different from your 22 year old friend who's giving you advice on on child rearing right you know it's like i I'm, and, I, and let me just say in terms of disclosure nothing in this world is more humbling or educational for me than walking in like volunteering in the classroom going on a field trip and i realize how much i am doing horribly wrong compared to these teachers and i'm the one with all the smart ideas right i went to college and stuff right 
You feel no, like such I, so, a dumbass. <laughs> so I don't go into the, you know, I, I'm certainly thinking I, it seems to me that they could, it would do well if they would just spend a month or two honing in on memorizing, you know, some of these math facts. But I don't go into the teacher conference and say, here's what you should do, you know. Yeah, I kind of don't, I, I have to admit, I don't understand how you would not do that. But then I, I look I at her know. homework, and I'm sure you've seen numerous things. There's probably whole tumblers devoted to the wackadoodle way they're supposed to do math now with these word problems and stuff like that. Or oh, fact, fact, yeah. fact families and stuff like that. Oh. Where it's, you know, and, and again, it's kind of a meme, but you'll see stuff where, where it's like, no, no, you, you don't subtract 111 from 217 like that. You have to do this from that and this from that. And then imagine that there's a hundred of these and three left over. And I'm like, I, I honestly don't know how to do math that way. But I guess there's a reason. I guess there's a reason people like you probably, like you figured out a lot of the tricks about getting close to something and then figuring out the rest, right? You figured that yeah. out a long time ago. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Like some people have that, learn these tricks for like a, a, a quick estimation and then getting it right after the estimation. I bet you you've been good at that forever. Yeah, it's always just came naturally to you. The one thing I remember, I remember being very proud of myself for is at some point, I don't know when, it, I don't know when I learned everything, but it was third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there, probably before fifth, but at some point, but we hadn't learned long division yet as a, as a class. And we took a standardized test. What do we used to take? The Iowa test? Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. I, that, that, that does ring a bell. I don't know if everybody, I don't know why we took the Iowa test, but we used to, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but we took the Iowa test of basic skills. And it was like, you know, like the SAT for, mm -hmm. uh, for, uh, grade school kids. And there was long, long division on it. And I didn't, I was like, Ooh, and I, I kind of had like test anxiety and I was, I, I, but I somehow figured out a way to get the answer. Like I somehow taught myself long division before we ever learned it. And I remember my teacher asked me I, I totally aced it i got like an I, I think the highest score you it was like a percentage i got like a 99 percent on the math and my teacher asked me how'd you get how'd you get this one and i explained it and he was like that's a, you know that's fascinating because that's not the right way to do it but it's it is a way to get the answer yeah it's funny if you think about it when you ask somebody to show their work on the one hand it's completely sensible like if you're especially something like long division showing your work is an indication that you understand how to how to solve this, but what it really shows is you learn how to solve this in the way that I taught it. If I mean, because the thing is, in in at least in arithmetic, maybe not in higher math, but in arithmetic, there's an, an answer. Like this times this will always be that. Right. There's no quantum mechanics at the basic arithmetic level, and so you know the thing is, if you can just look at a problem like whatever seventeen times nine and know what that answer is without having to show your work. It seems kind of weird because you just some people just see those numbers. I mean, I really admire people who can do that. Where they just they, you know what I'm talking about? It's almost like like a uh, Rain Man kind of thing where some people can just see that they don't need to show the work because there's no work to be shown. It's just that this will all this times that will always be that, and I know that. All right. Yeah. As soon as you said 17 times nine, I thought 153. Is that what it is? Yeah. Are you kidding? No, because it's it, you do you just do asterisk nine checks out. One fifty three spotlight says, right? Because you do ten times, you do ten times nine to get ninety, and then you do seven times nine to get sixty three, and you add them together. Oh my god, I hate you! Oh my god, you, you might as, you might as well be like telling my future from tea leaves. I can't believe you. Do you know do what that. though? We had one time with the teacher conference. This is I love I love having you on the show. But one time I did talk to Jonas's teacher about it a little, not in a way where I was trying to prescribe how I thought they should teach math. Did but you just bring to in some express, printouts, things you found on the internet. 
no, not at all. I was just, just sort of like what you're taking. And and her explanation, and I do believe this is there's there's not as much point to memorizing this stuff going through life because everybody has computers with them everywhere they go. You know, it's she it's sort that? of like more or less. Wow. You know, and but in a way that made a lot of sense to me. That what you know, if we teach them these story-based ideas, but know that, you know, on the assumption that they're going to actually use calculators and stuff, you know, to do it, they'll understand the, what's actually necessary. I don't know. There's something like that. Hmm. Like, what's the point of learning all this stuff if you don't, you know, if you're never going to actually do it by hand anyway? Well, you know, back to that uh, idea, though, of what's what people's natural kind of faculties are, to use that word story in a slightly broader sense, I mean, if you think about how many of the things you learn in elementary school will either they will either connect with you or they won't based on whether you get the story. So the problem is, if you get history taught in an uninteresting way or by an uninspired teacher, you see it as a collection of facts to be memorized instead right. of seeing that as a story. You know, And there's a reason why, until I went to college, I still continued to call everything, including arithmetic, just math, because that was math. Not understanding there's there's a bigger story to tell here than plus minus you know times and divided by do you know what i mean it's like but there are some people who really have that natural affinity of being able to just look at these patterns and it and it makes sense and maybe they're learning a word for what that's actually called but you know gosh i just feel like having having teachers who are able to to suss that out and then put up with the parents who come in and give them things they found in mother jones Ugh. What a job! I do, th I do think, and it sounds like it's the same um, with with your school. I do feel like the one. I, so the math, I, I, you know, I don't know. What do I know? I, I, I kind of think they're doing it wrong, but whatever. Uh, but with the writing, I do kind of see where they're going, and where I do object to the idea that spelling doesn't count. But eventually, it does start to count. But I do that. We had the same thing where they they just want the kids to write stories, like from like first grade on. And I do see that there. That's very different. I don't remember ever just writing. I mean, when I was in first grade, we used to, you know. I, I mean, it was the um, what you were writing about was a MacGuffin. the The whole idea of having like what you did over Thanksgiving. Well, nobody really cared what they what you did over Thanksgiving. They wanted to make sure you could still write in cursive and knew how to punctuate it and spell it. Right. Right. Don't, Whereas don't you think? now, I mean, it wasn't really yeah. about telling writing anything. It was about demonstrating you had the mechanical skills you'd been taught. Yeah. Whereas now it seems like it's more about they really want to train those muscles in their minds at an early age to be able to express, take your thoughts and express them. And that worrying about spelling is just all it's just roadblocks to getting that out on the page. And, you know, as a professional <laughs> writer, there is a line. There's certainly a very common line of advice for adult writers people writing that your first draft you should just go mm -hmm. just get it on the page don't worry turn off the thing that makes red underlines and stuff like that and just go and get it out on the page and then go back and do the stuff like oh you didn't even uppercase that the character to start that sentence you you know you misspelled some words you you know totally need commas to close don't worry about that in the first draft I don't really write like that. I kind of well because you don't I, you don't need to. But but what you're describing, I totally right. agree with you because what I feel like, and I might be oversimplifying this, but I really do feel like um, something that always inhibited me a little bit was if if there was one thing where I got it a little bit, it wasn't things like English language arts, you know, and the idea of having to write a paper 
was not the thing that worried me or was fretful to me. The thing that I didn't like was having to go and do the process of doing the index cards. I'd like uh. the index cards, I always have, but having to do the index cards, turn the index cards into an outline that you have to turn in as part of the theme. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, man, I could write this thing in my sleep. But all these, all these other, this weird artificial scaffolding that I guess proves I learned your process, like that always got in the way. And I think there's that still that voice in a lot of people's heads if they want to write anything where they're going to, they're going to, they would never in a million years turn off the red underlining because that's how they know they're doing it right. Even if it doesn't yeah. make any sense what they're actually writing. No, I, that's, I had the same thing. Like we learned in, in my school, elementary school, like this, and it was year after year. It wasn't just like one teacher. It was like the curriculum was this sort of formal, uh, you, you mentioned the index cards. I actually do. I, I forgot about that. I remember the outline, but I do think that there was a time when we were supposed to use index cards too. Like now, which you, when you went outline. to the library, did your research. There right. was like, in my and, case, a pretty prescriptive way you're supposed to make notes on every index card. Right. And the outline had weird rules. Like you had to start like with like uppercase letters and then right. the next level of hierarchy was like lowercase letters. And, and that all went, went into like, the grade. Like if you used a numeral two instead of a Roman numeral two at the yeah, wrong yeah. place, that was marked against you. And it's like, the, what better way to disrupt somebody's thought process than by having them think about what kind of digit to use to brainstorm? Right. <laughs> right. Just uh, just to get your ideas out. Right. And it was, yeah. It, and I remember the Roman numerals part because I was something that I was never good at. Absolutely never good at Roman numerals. You know, I, I, once I got past five, it was, you know, with the whole thing where you put the ones before the digit Ugh. and uh, it never, never worked for me. I, I mean, I still have to sit there when, when I'm watching like, like a Super Bowl kind of notation. I, I still have to mentally. Sit there I can't and do, do it. the equivalent of arithmetic to figure out, oh, 39? I have no idea if the Super Bowl is right, except... <laughs> did, did, no, I don't. I, did, when they hit 50, 50 was awesome because it was... I don't even know what it was, but it, it was like simple. Uh, it was just like an L or something. Like I CM? I don't know. I, I hate the Super Bowl with the Roman numerals. Just freaking... I've, I really... I wish I would have made like a public campaign for it. I, you know, start It's like really unnecessarily pretentious given the audience. Once they I guess it hit, seems fancy. But once they hit 50, that's where they should have stopped. Oh, and yeah. just, you know, just Super Bowl 2014, Super Bowl 2015. Get in Super some Bowl, ugly numbers. It's all ugly at this point. It's really bad. It, it was, it, I, it only made sense. It's like with the Rocky films. Like yeah. they, they use Roman numerals. Never go well, beyond the number of Rocky films. That, you know what? That's Gruber's rule from now on. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you do, if you need more than that, you, use, a, use, a, use a numeral. That's yeah, exactly. Rocky, the the upper bound on on Roman numerals is where was that was like Rocky. seven, something like that, nine, twelve. How many? There I are don't know, but they made the most recent one. They didn't put a Roman numeral behind. Even they wouldn't break the Rocky rule. Like they stopped adding Roman numerals and made like you know Rocky Forever or something. Rocky Balboa. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Rocky Balboa. Rocky. Boy, look at that Rocky guy. Films. Look at the head on that guy. My Rocky God. films. God, I love Wikipedia. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Rocky. Here Balboa. we go. They went to Rocky Five. That's that. it. And then they went to Rocky Balboa. Creed. There's one called Creed. That must be upcoming. I think I heard about this. It's a spinoff. It uh, it's Creed's grandson. Michael B. Jordan. Is that the guy from The Wire? Yeah, I think so. Damn! Look at that. It's uh, it's what's his name? It's uh, is that Wallace? That's Wallace. Wallace is everywhere now. This is crazy. Yeah. Gee. <sighs> So they went to Rocky Five, and okay. then they, that's it. They you know what? I'll, you know, I'm just going to say on the strength, I'm okay with seven. I think eight is ugly. I think nine yeah. is execrable. 
I don't want to, I don't want to look at an IX. Oh, see, when you start going before the numbers, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. Although I, I think oh. I told you this when I was a kid, our creature feature was on WXIX, Channel 19. Which you got to give him credit. That's pretty great. XIX, yeah, because huh? yeah, yeah. it's you know it's got like a nice uh, uh, what's that called? Uh, Too clever by half. No, but the uh, palin palindrome. That's a palindrome. oh yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. The symmetry. Pal- yeah, exactly. There's a there's a there's a pretty visual symmetry mm. to it. The Roman numeral system. Ugh. I mean, how how did they even? How did it's amazing that a, 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 a culture that came up with that had any success at all, let alone uh, like a continent-spanning empire. Oh, 100%. It really seems like the kind of thing you make deliberately difficult to confuse normal people. It's like one, two, and three are... All right, you're, I'm with you so okay, far. Okay, let me explain. Here's how it works. This is a one, okay? It's one <laughs> mark. Here's, here's a two, okay? You make two marks. Can you guess what three is? Is it three marks? Yep. Yeah. And uh, what about four? That's IV. <laughs> right what? immediately what's a v hang on we're not there right. yet first learn yeah. iv you gotta learn iv before you learn v <laughs> right at that point in the discussion you only have to get to four before you automatically <laughs> like whoever came up with it you've got to say no it's no, uh you... I, I think that's a it's like a turing thing it's like it just it, do, it doesn't make sense <laughs> right you have to know about five which you <laughs> haven't even you know gotten about to four <laughs> It's like those directions where, like, you realize you should have read them all the way through before you started. Yeah. We, like, you like know, step eight has something you were supposed to have done back in step four. It's it, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's probably why my cable went out. <laughs> uh, I skipped skip step. Uh, I didn't read step eight before I did step six. Um, no, but you know how it's like, like our our decimal notation. It breaks down after a certain large number, and that's why we switch to the exponential notation right. for very, very large numbers. And you know, that's and that's something that never made sense to me, or it made sense, but I always had to go back and look it up. And it's just the telling you how many zeros are on the ten or something. But it's because you know, for dealing with those truly staggeringly large numbers, writing it all out doesn't make sense. Roman numerals break down at four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one thing with pi. Like people have their reasons for wanting to get in fifty to fifty places in pi, and that's a level of complexity that we accept, if, even if not to always totally understand. But to have an idea of a fucking broken four, that's. <laughs> I mean, what? It seems like that. That's a good first draft. But let's try that again. Now, can you do four single strokes? Is that acceptable as an alternative? I think IV is canonical. I think I, as I recall, I believe that it's it's. Uh... It's sort of like the in the English language. It's like it's going to get the uh, the italicized informal. Oh, the INF. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't like, know if you know, but I'm a third. <laughs> I am a my my father and my grandfather share my name, or I share their name, I should say. So I've had to I've had to live with walking around putting Roman numerals after my name, and nothing you makes you seem like, like a bigger dick faster than having Roman numerals after your name. That's always for, the bad for, guy in like an '80s '80s comedy. For legal purposes, you you uh, you have to. Well, they're dead now, so I think I can fly on that a little better. Yeah. But I'm sitting here and look at this. One is an I, five is a V, ten is an X, fifty is an L. So you can't even yeah, you can't even it. do X X X X X. So I was right. It was there was the one glorious year where the super it was like Super Bowl L. Right. But even that it was at least it was understandable. But even that it kind of looks stupid, right? Because when you think that sounds super like a Samsung Bowl, tablet. 
Right. When you Super think Bowl Super Bowl, you, you think a lot of X's and, uh, right. you know. And you know what? One of the reasons I feel like it's stuck is that X, I, you know, I've said this many times on the show, X is clearly the coolest letter of the alphabet. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, the whole logic behind calling the Mac operating system OS ten is just that the X looks cool. It's got right? it's got it's, uh, diagonals and di- diagonals look great. It's just diagonals. Yeah, it's, and the cross uh, it looks super. Right. X ray vision. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know the the letter for secret agents. Uh, X rated films. Mm-hmm. You know, right? It's you know it's what you get on the smoker channels. That's right. <laughs> when you get your smokers. That's right. Uh, no, it's been and I feel like that's why the Super Bowl stuck with it because they got to put a lot of X's in the name. Why, why did they always do Roman numerals for years on old movies? Is that do you think you that's a tradition or a rule or like an industry thing? Like, you know what I mean when you see oh for the year, yeah. They would always they show put, on TV shows and movies to show the year it was made. It would always be in Roman numerals. Uh, I think it was just like a format, you know, like a like a uh, a tra- know, like, like a, a tradition. tradition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was just like a tradition. Hmm. Tarantino did it on one of his. Uh, like uh, retro, like that Roadhouse movie or whatever the hell it was called. Yeah, when you see it, like a, a title screen that's got a Roman numeral date on it, that that really is like a throwback. Yeah, it's like the Expendables, maybe. Can't tell. Uh, I don't know. Hey, let me take a break. I got another sponsor yeah. to talk about, and I want to I want to tell everybody about them. It's another longtime friend of the show, return sponsor, our good friends at Igloo. Igloo. Now they that's the intranet you'll actually like. Uh, it's built with easy-to-use apps like shared calendars, Twitter-like microblogs, file sharing, task management, and more. So you put your team together. You start your own little uh, Twitter microblog thing on Igloo, and it's like you have a Twitter that is private to your team instead of being out in the public. But that way you can just comment on things, uh, keep it all in your within your team for you know privacy purposes. It's everything you need to work better in one very configurable cloud platform now they have responsive design everything works great on uh, your phone your android phone your ios device your tablet your laptop obviously um it works great with the bigger screen iphones right away it's all you know uh, responsive Uh, you can review documents you post project updates change administrative settings um or even complain about why they, you know, there's a U2 album stuck in your iTunes right there from your phone. Everything you can do on Igloo, you can do right from the phone. Uh, when you design your Igloo, you have a whole bunch of choices. You get to change um, uh, the changes you make carry across all devices. So it's not just like, oh, there's a s- one special look for the iPhone. But then when you make the design changes, you only see them on the desktop. No, the design changes you make go all the way from your uh brand new uh, retina iMac right down to your iPhone. Uh, They have a file preview engine, fully HTML5 compatible. uh, So um, you can preview everything online. You add comments, new versions of files, everything you want to do. Here's the thing they want to talk about, this thing called Gartner's Magic Quadrant. Now, this is all outside my wheelhouse. Hmm. This is Casey's terms. This is out in the parking lot for me. (laughs) But... uh, but it's a big deal for for uh, people who work, you know, probably a lot of you who are listening to the show who work out there uh, and where, you, you know, things like white papers are things you encounter all the time. Uh, so just this past week, Gartner released their famed magic quadrant for social software in the workplace. That's a white paper they put out uh, 
every year. Igloo appears for the sixth consecutive year. And it's right alongside, this is who they're up there with. Microsoft, IBM, Google, VMware, Salesforce, and uh, SAP. Uh, so it's a report that values the size of the vendor. In Gartner's terms, this is viability. Igloo is praised for their responsiveness and customer experience. Um, here's an excerpt right from Gartner's profile of Igloo. This is Gartner's words. Feedback from Igloo's reference customers was consistently positive. They praised the product's quick deployment, configuration, and customization flexibility with self-service options for non-technical users, control over branding and information organization, and ease of use. They also praised the responsiveness of Igloo as an organization. So really, there it is right there. It's a third party, you know, Gartner telling you exactly the things that I've been telling you about Igloo for months. They're telling you uh, Igloo is all kinds of responsive. Right. And what it is, is it's easy. It's supposed to be. That's their whole point. Their whole point is that all these intranets, these legacy ones like SharePoint and the old portal technology were a huge pain in the ass. They were confusing to set up, confusing to administer, and confusing as hell to use. That's the big thing. I think is that they were confused. I remember when I had, you know, had jobs and we used the share. Yeah, always all those kinds of apps always, even if you got the open source ones, you always kind of felt like it was the worst of every world. They were, they were difficult to deal with. They were some, they were real flimsy. They were real ugly to use and nobody wanted to use them. And it wasn't just that they weren't fun. It was just that you, every time you, I would use those kinds of apps, I would think like, I don't understand who this is for. And I've, yeah. I've used Igloo and like you understand it. You go in there, you turn on the stuff you need, turn off the stuff you don't, you get exactly what you want and it actually works and it is fun to use. Right. It's, you know, it's, to me, it's like the difference between like the old smartphones before the iPhone and it would it'd be all these things and you'd be, I don't even know what this is. What is this? How do I even make an event in the calendar? I don't even know how to get there. Uh, and then you got the iPhone and it's like, well, I get it. It's just, I just tap this calendar and there's my calendar and I hit this button and I go back to home. Well, Igloo is like that for team sharing. Here's the thing that's amazing to me. Free to use with up to 10 people. So if you have a small team that's less than 10 people, you just get to use it forever, like in perpetuity going forward without even paying for it. They're cool with that. Uh, and if you are from a bigger organization, you can try it out with up to 10 people before you spend a nickel to make sure that everything I'm telling you about it is true. Uh, and then they have really great, you know, once you go past 10 people, they have really, really great rates that are way, way less than you pay for competing crappier intranets. Where do you go? Here's the, here's the address. igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. And then they'll know you came right here from the show. So my thanks to them. Good people. Really good people. MCMLXVI. That's the year I was born. What a mess. That's <laughs> horrible. Why? <sighs> I almost feel like it's one of those things like dropping in some casual Latin where <laughs> it's like. exactly what it's like. Where I'm specifically mentioning this because I'm pretty sure you won't know what it means. Sui generis. Right, yeah. and I spend a lot of a lot of time uh, learning it. So uh, now I'm right. going. I, to I don't want to sound fancy per se. Right, <laughs> it's just dropping in some Roman numerals. And I kept this uh, Novus Ordo Seclorum. Um, it's kind of a thing that's on my mind right now. <laughs> How's your internet doing? Uh, I think it's good. Nice.
Hey, so uh, before we before we wrap this up, uh, yeah, I want to um, I want I didn't want to say anything. It's your show, but I, you know I've noticed mm-hmm. you had some length creep, and I don't know if it's yeah. it's not it's not just it would be nice to think that it's just Syracuse who I'm guessing broke your no. record, but there's been a lot uh, of, there's been a lot the of leakage time wise lately. Yeah, I don't know what to do about that. I'm and not. I'm funny. not against it, but I think. No. Yeah, given that we're not talking about ecosystems, it's, it's probably better we keep this one short. But uh, you know. That, well, no. Let's go meta on it though. That yeah. is good though. I do. I've absolutely positive. There's no denying it. This show has gotten longer. Where I used to try to keep it to be an hour because I thought an hour is what a show <laughs> should be. I did. I've never done I, anything for an hour. I've been, I've never done anything mind. physical for more than an hour, and I've never done anything involving talking for less than an hour. I I I never I almost never hit that uh, hour, but I by trying to keep it an hour, I felt like mm-hmm. it would, um, you know, it would keep it from going to two hours, and then you know it would be like an hour and thirty seven minutes or an hour and forty five minutes, and now it just blows past the two hour mark every show and a lot of people love it and here's the funny thing too i and i think part of it comes to the fact that that podcasting is still like a nascent medium like nobody's still (laughs) it's still it it is it, it our our idea of what they should be and when people will listen to them and how often they'll listen to them Absolutely. has it it's still liquid, you know. And, but, but it's, and like, I it's think, like online videos where when I first started, I did this thing briefly called the Merlin Show, which was an interview show I did for a while. It was a tremendous amount of work for what we ended up getting. But <clears throat> everything I heard from people was, you can't put this thing up. You can't have a YouTube video that's more than ten minutes long. There is nobody in the entire world that will watch a video. 10 minutes, really? That's like the stairway to heaven of online videos. And it's like, I don't know. I think a 15-minute interview is not that much to expect with somebody, but people just shake their heads. Data for podcasts. I don't know if you remember this, but a lot of the advice I heard early on was never go past 30 minutes just because the yeah. files are so big and nobody will yeah. listen to anything for that long. There's a, a there, there are technical factors like how long it takes to download and how much it costs to distribute and, you know, multiply the length of the show by the number of people doing it and mm-hmm. uh, the quality of the audio, you know, well, especially uh, back what, when we were, everybody was hosting it themselves with metered bandwidth. I mean, that was, those were crazy in the pre Libsyn days. That was crazy And this is business. not that long ago. I mean, yeah. we're talking like, you like know, five, six years ago. Yeah. Like five, six, seven years ago. Um, I, it was a huge when when Dan and I first started doing the talk show. It was the, just the download cost was a huge thing. It really was. Well, I, if you think, think about for, it, it was closer in 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 relatively speaking, in the in the grand scheme of things, it was closer in time to the days of postage stamp size QuickTime videos than of like like I just watched uh, Tim and Eric's Totino's commercial in 1080p, and I watched it like five yeah. times, and I don't think they're going to be hurting because I did that. YouTube can handle that. But really, seriously, yeah. when podcasts started and I went and got my first Libsyn account, it was the first thing I knew of. I mean, I, you know, you can get this to an extent with Squarespace. Libsyn was the first one I knew of that had unmetered bandwidth, which seemed completely untenable because it was so expensive. If you had it on your hosted account just sitting there, your bandwidth would be gone in an hour. Even if your show wasn't that popular, you're done. Yeah. You couldn't have a 30 meg file that more than a few people downloaded. Yeah, and there's things too like... Uh, uh, the fact that people listen using different uh, 
apps. So one person might have two or three downloads of the show because they've got one in iTunes at their work and they've got one in iTunes at their home and one in Overcast on their phone. And, you know, it really, really adds up at some point. But in today's world, it's, you know, the bandwidth is effectively free, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Um, we I used to get we used to get complaints a lot when we went over an hour. People would say, man, I love your show, but you got to keep it under an hour on the, the um, show with Dan. Or, yeah. Or this 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 version. Um, no, not this version. Yeah. I, by the time, because this version, I think we're is it coming up on two years? I think it's coming up on. But I mean, like, two like years. I'm off the top of my head, Syracuse guy, English, maybe three years, uh, Stratechery guy, like those. All three of those were really good episodes. They were really good talk show episodes, and I bet not one of them was under two hours. No, I think Syracuse was over hours. three hours. Yeah, Syracuse was like three oh three. Those were all three and, really good. And it was for for. You know, and Dave Whiskus actually really does edit the show, and a lot of times the the, the version that gets published is a little shorter than what is recorded. But uh, the Syracuse show we recorded the day before this Coco conference in Philly was going to happen. Coco Love, which actually was a remarkably good, it was just a little 150 person indie Mac developer conference here in Philly. Um, it was really, really great. I can't, I can't believe it was the first instance of it. Because, oh, that's great! Because was that? That's great to hear. Uh, yeah, I love to know that I, that's still thriving. You know, I've been to first conferences, and they're never. They're always. They're cool. Like the first singleton was great, but like the second singleton was way better because they had like you know they knew like fifteen things to do better. They knew to get a better venue. Everything. This Coco Love conference. I can't believe it was the first one because it was like a really great venue and everything ran on time and. Really great, but anyway, Dave was speaking at it, uh, oh. and Brent Simmons was flying in, so and he needed, you know, he was going to spend. But I really wanted the show to come out that day, Friday. So Syracuse and I recorded, knowing we better not screw up. Hopefully, we won't, you know, we don't want to have any kind of necessary edits. Um, so three oh three was like. <laughs> That was, I don't think, I don't think Dave would have cut anything though, but we, you know, it was a very tight show. He's a, he's very compact. I mean, you'll remember that when he and Dan talked about, um, Goodfellas, I mean, it was an, an hour longer than the movie. That's <laughs> right. crazy, but awesome. If there ever, if ever, you know, sir, I, I, it sounds crazy that your discussion of a movie would be longer than the movie, but if it ever, happened, you know, it happened with us and, um, what was the one we did? Uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross. It's actually easier than you'd think. Yeah. Well, because you can, you know, if it's a really, if it's truly a good movie, there are details. There's little things that go by like this in the movie, you know, in a snap, but that if you really stop and think about it, are worth a, a lengthy discussion. Well, and especially if you're somebody like Syracuse with that movie or me with Glengarry Glenn Ross, maybe, maybe like another one for me would be like Big Lebowski or there's certain movies where it isn't just that I like them. It isn't just that I think they're really good. It isn't just that I have things to say about them. It's just that there's so many things nobody's ever bothered to ask me about that I've thought, yeah, I know you're like this. There's so many things I've been thinking about, about this thing for years that no one has ever asked me about. And this is the only chance in the entire world I'm going to get to talk about this unified field theory about like, you know, in your case, like single point perspective with Stanley Kubrick. Like how many times will you get to talk about that? How many times will you get to talk about the way Steven Spielberg uses thirds of the screen? It's like, I'm probably the only person that ever noticed this, but like, I got a lot to say about it. (laughs) Absolutely. I, you know, and like I said, rewind a little bit in the early days, we used to get complaints when we'd go over an hour. 
uh, from some people. And I understood it because I totally see like I, you know, it and I don't want to be corny about this, but it is in a way that it's an honor that people read my stuff and read my writing. It's in some ways even more of an honor that people listen to this show or when I appear on other people's podcasts because it's even more of your time. It takes longer to listen to a podcast. Well, you can't just jump Mark. in and sip a little bit off of a 200-word right. uh, blog post. I mean, if you're going to sit down to an interview, if you're going to tuck into an, a Syracuse interview, you better bring a sandwich. Right. You're really asking uh, a lot of people. Jonas was just saying to me about how when he, he notices when he plays video games like Nintendo games and they put like in the cutscenes and they, they're, the characters on screen talk and they put the, the subtitles underneath mm-hmm. that he always reads them even though, you know, they're talking. And I said, you know why? I said, I do the same I thing totally and I kind of don't like. And I said, you know why? I think it's because you read faster than you can listen. And he's like, yeah, that's true. Like, you've already read the dialogue before they're even halfway through the sentence. And it's like, you know, so people can read Daring Fireball way faster than they can listen to the show. So it's a real honor. And so when people would complain that the show is too long, I'd think, well, you know, you have a very good point because it's a privilege that you're giving me even an hour of your time. But I don't get any complaints anymore. I don't know. If there are people out there listening right now who silently hate that this show has expanded in time, you should write to me and let me know because, you know, I'd be interested to know that. But what I've been hearing lately is people who love it, you know. Well, my feelings on this have really evolved. I don't want to say they've gone full circle, but they've gone something very, very near to full circle. Um, And the, the short version is I think it depends a lot on what kind of show it is. Um, you know, think about it. This, I mean, think about like if you listen to like I've just started listening to this show on Slate. I think it's called the Cultural Gab Fest, and it's something like about a half hour long. And I, I it's, it's perfect, perfect in length because it's a you know it's almost like a radio show. It's like professional journalists talking in an organized way, and it makes a lot of sense. And you wouldn't want it to go on for four hours. If it's an if it's an you know part of the thing when you're listening to like, well, I'll be you know brave enough to toss myself in here, but like a show like this, a show like definitely ATP, and I'll even say a show like Roderick on the line, you're there because you want to see how this unfolds. You're not going to skip any of this. Like you want to see here's where it started. What happens next? Where's it going to go from now? You know what I mean? And I I think that's really different from the topic obsessed outline driven show that a lot of people have come up with that that can be very tight. So here's how my feelings evolved. I mean, the joke I used to make when I, I first started doing a podcast for 43 folders in something like 2005. So it was a pretty long time ago. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. So 2005, 2000. And then I started doing, you know, MacBreak Weekly not too long after that. But anyhow, back then, the joke I always made was like, nobody wants to listen to like three guys talk about Unix for three hours. Because that's what podcasts used to seem like. They were totally unedited. They were, I mean, I'm being very general here. But they they weren't edited. They weren't well recorded. And, And a lot of times it was people who were not used to having heard what their voice sounds like for a long time. And they would just drone on and on. And so for me... At first, it was like the 43 Floors podcast, like it was rarely more than like seven or eight minutes because I had internalized that. Like, that's how long this should be. People are going to what put this on their iPod, I guess. That's a big file. Keep these small. That changed a little bit over time. Like, you look nice today. I don't know if there's any you look nice today that are longer than an hour. They're usually like 35 minutes. Yeah, that was it was very sitcom length. I went and listened to one for the first time in a long time. Went and listened to one the other day. For election day, was it who voted? I went back and listened to that one, and I cannot believe how fast it went by. I was like, "That was it!" Like I'm just settling in for the first sponsor break on talk show by this point, you know. But now today, I have to say, a show like yours, like I don't find myself checking my watch, or you know, a show like um, 
what's the prompt called now? Connected. Shows like that. Shows like ATP. ATP can be two hours long and I'm totally fine with it. I'm just there to listen for however long it is at, at normal speed. I do the overcast yeah. thing where I do the automatically, you know, clip out pauses part, but I, I, I never listen at artificially high speeds. Oh, you don't pump it up a little bit? I pump it up a little bit. You do bit like a 1.1, 1. 1, a 1. 1.5? Yeah, like a 1.2 or so. Most podcasts end up being about 1.1 1. 1 or so, I think, with um, Overcast. But, yeah. you know, if you get used to it, it's no problem. But certain shows where there's lots of music, I turn that off because that drives me crazy. I'm not, I'm not like an audiophile. But anyway, all I'm saying is, bottom line, yes, it has changed a lot. I think for almost everybody... Um, if people like your show and they like, I mean, we used to hear this on Mac break weekly. And frankly, at that time it drove me nuts because they'd be like, Oh, I, cause it, once it got to like an hour, hour and 15 minutes, I'd be like, I've really got to pee. And this show is getting way too long, but people would be like, Oh my God, please record everything from every second that you're ever on the air and put it out. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like after you've worked with Adam Lissagor, that is, that is a state of mind. That's kind of hard to grok, but you know, I honestly, I mean, you, you're not a huge podcast listener, are you? No, because I, and I think the it, there's so many that I I like, but I just don't have the time in my week, yeah. and that's because I don't I don't commute. You go to Vegas you know? a lot. That's yeah, but how would that help me with podcasts? That's a good point. But uh, uh, but they are they can be very time consuming, and if you want to jump in something like the Flop House, you know, to fully appreciate the Flop House, you've got to really go back and listen for Roderick on the Line. If I could say it pays to go back and listen from a ways back, but even with a new show, you get two shows that are two hours a week. I mean, that's half a work day. No, people, you this you have I have no hesitation letting you put Roderick on the Line out there as an example of that this type of show that people the people who love that like that show love that show. Yeah, like. I, I always see people say like it's a common thing on Twitter where, where if there's a, somebody who's on this show, you know, my show that they really like, they'll say, I would love a Roderick on the line style show between you and insert that person every week. You wow. Know, that's like that's people, a huge compliment. Like the people who most like I, somebody said it was Syracuse with the last episode, but I see, you know, other people like it when, you know, Joanna Stern is on with me. Mm-hmm. She's good. Uh, or show oh, man. She's so good. Um, but we and we do. I do. I always think when I record with her, I think, man, we have a pretty good chemistry on the show together. Um, but people will say, like, I would just love like a Roderick on the line style show. Like it's a a, a style. You know, it is a thing. Wow, that's where, that's really cool. I, I had noticed that. I, I have gotten that with you look nice today in the past because I think we really were one yeah. of the genre defining three white guys talking about nothing shows. Right, but. Uh, but no, well, it's, it's funny though because well, the 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 editing aesthetic of you look nice today, and that show was super tightly edited. Oh, I mean, ridiculously, like, ridiculously edited. Yeah, right. Like behind the scenes, it it, it was like like you're going into like the dark room, and it's there's thousands of strips of film all <laughs> right, over the right, floor. Right, right. And you know, uh, you know, I guess Adam used to do a lot of the editing originally. No, Adam was and the it, editor. I mean, until he right. got super busy at the end, he always edited. It. It wasn't until right. the and show like the, came back that Claude was doing it, but it was always right. Adam. He would nobody right. else would touch it. Right, but the thing that Adam would come out with was this thirty-five minute thing that sounded as though sounded, it was it just scripted. A it, lot of people thought. A lot of people were like, "How do you guys do? You guys write together? Do you use Google Docs? Right. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Estelle Getty playing playing testicles? I mean, like, you think we wrote that? It." But it also it it did feel, <laughs> yeah, it felt written, but yet also felt so easy. You know, there was yeah. an easiness to it. it. Felt like you guys could just sit down and in forty minutes come up with a thirty-five minute "You Look Nice Today" 
just right off the cuff. Yeah, and, and I, that's just, I appreciate you saying that. And it's, you know, so much of it was Adam's work. And, you know, I would go back and um, I didn't do this. I guess most of the time I would listen to the raw version and then listen to the edited version, especially later on. And it's amazing because he would take stuff and change the order of it. He would duck stuff so that we weren't talking over each other. I mean, I guess everybody, all the Jason Snells of the world. I mean, can you believe Jason Snell? Like, can you believe how many things, or Dave for that matter? Like, can you imagine sitting there and having to listen to this bullshit and then have to figure out where to duck? Like, Yeah, I can't. I would never I'd do that in a million years. That would drive me completely crazy. But Adam would no, do that. I, and then he'd go, well, here's a place where we could drop in some music or a sound cue or something. And, you know, it, and it really, it, you know, I think there's a lot, especially as the show went on, not to, you know, reminisce, but it got, we now, once we heard, heard our own show, edited it became clear what show to do while we were recording it which sounds silly but like i think they probably needed strictly speaking less editing as we went but that just gave adam more fuel to like you know make something interesting out of it All right but i, I yeah i anyway, i one of my theories on why the long shows longer shows are getting more palatable yeah. is that um people are better able to listen wherever whenever Right, like we didn't have, you know, when you you say, you know, what was the show you started in two thousand five? There's forty three folders and then MacBreak Weekly. Right, so there were you didn't even have a phone that could play podcasts. Oh gosh, then. no, 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 right. No. Let let alone an eight gigabyte phone that you could easily fill up with. No, space it was like it was that. like filling a grocery bag that you then had to carry around all day. It was it was an right. effort, even with the iPod pet iPod. There was still a fair amount of effort to keeping that up to date. And you know and now, and you would you could run out of like who puts like I, I when I go in and I have to clear out space I always go in and start with something like Instacast or Overcast because I have four gigs of audio files in there. Right. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Think about how crazy that is. And, and like back then, that you know, a substantial part of your your iPod could be filled up in no time. So yeah, you're right. And it, you know, it's it's commuting. It's people who take trains and use headphones, and people with cars that have some sort of Bluetooth, you know, connectivity. So, you know, you load up your Overcast with a bunch of shows, and they're always there. You don't have to do the stupid thing where you have to download it to your computer first and then yeah, plug your I gotta phone say, the untethering the, from iTunes is huge. Uh, it's absolutely huge. It's actually I think that's one the of the untether- most fundamental things when I, that changed iOS was when you did not have to be hooked up to a Mac. It seems like like a like a feature you know improvement in retrospect, but like to me in retrospect, like that that's that's when everything changed is when you could do I, everything over the air. I think it's largely responsible for the fact that podcasts are like a real part of my career now. I mean, it's like a significant uh, portion of what I make at Daring Fireball comes from this show. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's entirely directly corresponds to when iPhones got untethered from the computer, when they became full peers. The Venn diagram of that podcast growing interest in Daring Fireball. And yeah. It's, it's interesting that, that your timing is, is good for that. Yeah. And it's, I think that's also why the longer shows are seemingly palatable. Maybe the people who hate them have given up and stopped listening. I don't know. But I think it's because you always have it with you. And even if you don't have a two hour chunk to listen to this all at once, you just listen to the hour, first hour. It's like, you know, one time when Marco was on a couple months ago, I actually, it was, it went real crazy long like this over two hours. And so I literally broke it up into two episodes. Oh God, I remembered that. That was with Overcast. That was when he put yeah, out Overcast. And, oh, that's know, right. And I even, you had like four hours. Right. I, I, you know, I think it was like four hours. I think it had to be broken up, but it, you know, and it helped bec- uh, because I was behind on the sponsor, you know, things and, you know, sp- more on that in a second. But um, 
you know, that I'd fallen behind the schedule. And it just, I don't know, just you were behind in the sponsor count. Yeah. Well, it's because, you know, I don't have a regular. That's the other thing, too. I mean, it probably would help if I got more regular. I used to try to record every Thursday, which is what we're doing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but no matter what I do, it seems like I don't, I don't, I never record more than 40 episodes a year. Like in hmm, theory, I would do. I would do 52, but it's pretty consistent that it comes out to 40 because sometimes I just, it for a show that I don't really prepare for, I just come and do it. I find it mentally exhausting. Like by the time I'm done talking to you here, I'm going to be spent. That's the thing we're not allowed to say. I feel the same way. I can't believe I feel tired after, after recording a podcast sometimes. All right. And I, I've told you this before. My mother's father was a coal miner. <laughs> He is a coal miner in he Central worked in a Pennsylvania, black <laughs> and he died. He died of a disease called black lung. Oh my god! <laughs> like at the age of seventy, and he died of black you lung. To talk about computers for two hours, right? But I remember. You know what though? But I remember him. He was a very kind man, and you know, I was only in first grade when he died. Um, but he was he was everything you'd ever want in a pop pop you know he he always he had like a secret stash of cookies that wow. you know that he he let on that only i knew you know that my, my mom and dad didn't have to know that i knew where he kept them oh, pepperidge that's farm a good pop pop yeah Pe- pepperidge farm uh, sugar cookies which is what a, what a great name for cookies <laughs> sugar cookies <laughs> let's uh, not let's not uh let's not sugarcoat I this think, no actually let, let, let's go ahead and sugarcoat this this is literally right. literally sugar cookies Right, but this is me complaining about the exhaust- how exhausting it is to t- talk to one of my be- best and dearest friends for two hours in <laughs> Skype. And, you know, I'm t- two generations removed from a man who went into a dangerous, dark black hole. He breathed black dust. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Breathing black dust that would eventually kill him at a you don't even fairly edit the early show. age. You don't even edit the show. I-, I don't even edit the show. Dave Whiskus does. And I'm complaining yeah. here for everybody about how hard it is but i do i find it you know and somebody it does it gives me an enormous amount of respect for uh professional broadcasters like a howard stern who do it every freaking day oh and like, for every, what, like four God. hours six hours a day can you believe that yeah i cannot believe it i, I see i feel like that way with uh morning edition where you know morning edition starts you guys get it starting at six in the morning it starts running here at three in the morning so to get into the studio, I mean, those guys are getting, what, two, three in the morning to, to record that show? Can you imagine doing that yeah. every day for, like, years? For a career. It's ridiculous. Well, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out the chicken and egg of this. Uh, am, I, am I interrupting here? Were you going to do a... No, um, no. Because <clears throat> um, I was sitting here waiting for your cable to get fixed and thinking about, you know, how how strange it is the way the, if you like, ecosystem has changed, where, you know, I used to feel like I really understood, like, what was going on in the world of consumer technology, especially as it related to media, right? Up until, like, you know, I used to feel like I was really on top of that stuff. I've done some work with companies, like, even, like, small record labels and stuff, talking about, hey, here's how to really, you, guys, you're, you're facing up against MySpace here. You're facing up against Kazaa here. <laughs> here's the things to think about. You know, in terms of you know having a strategy that works for for moving beyond being in a Sam Goody, because that was a conversation that really needed to be had, and a lot of people didn't want to have that conversation. What's funny is though, like for me, I was that guy. I was the internet guy for years, going, "Oh, you're going to have to put out, you got to put out high quality MP3s of your stuff and no DRM," and that didn't happen for a really long time. And then suddenly, Apple was selling no DRM MP3s, 
And I was like, ha see, I was right all along. And how long ago was that? Was that like maybe four years ago? Three years no, ago? No, it was a lo- had to be longer than that. When, but like, when did they start selling like just pure MP3s with no DRM? When was that? You know, let's even say six years ago, whatever it was. Something and like then that. I guess I went into a long winter's nap because then I woke up and I started seeing the numbers. Like, so, okay, so first of all, so then they start doing that. Then they become what? The largest retailer, music retailer in America for a while, right? Wasn't that the case? Didn't, didn't the iTunes store? Yeah. No. And I'm, I think they still are. But but you've have you watched those trend lines? It's crazy. Yeah. Like I here I was being Mr. Futurist guy where all you got to do is go sell your stuff on the internet, but like I can't believe how long it took to go from that juggernaut to now watching that that line go down. And now as yeah. you wake up and suddenly everybody wants streaming. And I, I've just, I don't know, I've been kind of running over in my mind and going like, where was I? Was I just, did that happen when my daughter was young and I just missed it? But it really seems like it so quickly went from, it was this long, tortured slide from like the late 90s, you know, Napster, Kazaa, what have you, up to the point of selling stuff online. That seemed like it took forever. But in my head, it feels like it's been in the blink of an eye that that's really started to go away quickly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And the only reason I mentioned this no. is like, I, I'm trying to think about my own consumption of stuff. We're like, you know, again, how, how long was it ago that we got the iTunes match? What, a couple, three years ago? Probably a couple years ago. Yeah, because Steve Jobs was still at a So as recently as so the last two years, I've still been sitting there with music brains, like making sure I get the right MP3 data in there to get everything synced up. I can get the high quality version. and But like at some point, I stopped sweating that as much. I was buying less. I was downloading less. And I was right. listening to a lot more podcasts. And so I've been trying to, I almost feel like I've had this lost weekend where I'm trying to figure out where it went that I, I spend most of my time listening to podcasts. Because that was absolutely not the case, even like five years ago. I would listen to music all day long or even listen to radio all day long. I don't know. I'm not saying, and the reason I say chicken and egg, I'm not saying that podcast listening is what's causing that to change. But I wonder how much of a factor that is, at least amongst people like us. Because the less we buy music, the less we talk about music. Maybe it's because we're getting older, but I don't know. I really feel like there's still, there's just a huge change underway right now. I was thinking about it with this, the, the way that, that streaming is clearly the future and say, you know, buying music is over the last feels kind of over. Yeah. The last platform for buying, we, I, I got caught up in it too, where I thought that the way the music industry worked was every decade or so a new format comes along and instead of buying vinyl now you buy cassette tapes right. like when I, my teenage years was were was the 80s and that's that was the cassette era i had all of my all of my money was tied up in cassette tapes and then the 90s came with cd's and it kind of sucked because i had a, i actually did i did the thing that the music industry you know loves is i rebought music on cd because i wanted it on cd because it was more convenient and you could you could you could sort of blind yourself to the ridiculous cost of that back then it was what 12 13 bucks for a cd yeah you could to to the you could blind yourself to that by saying well okay on the one hand the quality of this right straight out of the box is going to be like twice or three times as good however you perceive it like the quality is going to be so much better and i now i'm never going to have to do this again because this yeah. is this will be a you know perfect sound forever. This this CD it, will last in in exactly the sound exactly the same for the next hundred years. Right, it's never going to wear out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then you know digital came and it was clear that you know oh 
even better. It's you just download and you don't have to worry about keeping track of all these discs. Nobody can ever, nobody's, you're never going to lose the disc again. Remember when you'd really be in the mood to listen to we something? We talked about this. And you, you and I, you, you, we, <laughs> it's like, I really, you know what I really, you say you rebought today. Tom Petty. I've rebought Weezer because I didn't want to go in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> I would go and get like, I'm in the mood for Led Zeppelin 4. Like so when you want Led Zeppelin four, you gotta have it. And I'd go get the the disc and or the box. I have the box set. Open it up, and the disc isn't in the sleeve. It's like, oh, oh where is right. it? Well, guess what? I'll go buy it again. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? It's clearly I and I just figured that this would be the way it would be. Whereas clearly, it's just going to streaming. But then I think back to my teenage years too. Is I spent a ton of time, tons of time listening to FM radio. Yeah. Um, you know, oh gosh, that feels just, like such anything beyond public radio or occasionally baseball, but like, um, boy, just do you remember listening to regular radio feels really foreign to me. It feels like a parody of radio listening to it today. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like the real radio anymore. It's it feels, just all. Yeah, it's all. Exactly. It's like this. It's sort of like if you don't watch TV in the afternoon for a while. And then you watch TV in the afternoon. You're like, who are these poor people? Oh my god! It's you know, just I human. Did that it's all human tragedy. I did that yesterday. I don't know why. I don't even know what. It's, it's uh, all like lawsuits and like medical devices, and you can buy needles. They have needles delivered to your house. Have you ever seen the TMZ show? <laughs> TMZ I has a show. I swear to God, this oh, is your homework. Oh, everybody no. listening, everybody listening out there, all of you, Merlin Man, you included. Oh, I swear Lord. to God, go to your TiVo and have it set. Don't 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 subscribe. Just have it record one episode, like tomorrow. <laughs> Like the Friday afternoon episode of TMZ. Here's the show. It's a half an hour. I think it's a half an hour. I don't know. Maybe it's even more. It's it's just a couple of guys in a camera shot with cameras in the TMZ newsroom. I, 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 they've got to be in L.A. I don't know. But if they're not in L.A., it's, I'd be shocked. So they're in L.A. They have a newsroom, and they have maybe 40 or 50 employees. And they're just talking about the stuff that's going to be on TMZ today. On the website? Yeah, I guess. It's, you know, just Ugh. celebrity gossip. And then they and they just make... But it's all... It's mostly scandalous. It's not like yeah. red carpet oh, stuff it's you all see on ET. This is more like scandalous stuff. Yeah. And they just... it's And they just sit there and make fun of uh, people for... for then you see a car ad with that little creepy little general guy. More, oh, and the commercials. The, the commercials are. That's half what I'm the saying. Reason the commercials. Oh, right. uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the content. Sure. I mean, the judge shows. Well, that's. But the commercials right. are the worst, and that's what I get when I listen to the most radio. It's it's so gross. Right. Um. What was the What was the point of all that? It's just you know, like you're just describing though. Like, yeah, it seems like every decade everything would change, and then you know, and then by the '90s, it seemed like it was really settling down into the early 2000s. You know, what's amazing for me was uh, ironically enough of course it was on one of my wackadoodle devices like probably the amazon fire tv which is easily my runaway favorite uh entertainment device right now i went in and looked at like because you know amazon at some point did that thing where any c most of the cds you bought they kind of grandfathered you into an electronic copy hmm. you know about this yeah, yeah, you didn't have to buy the MP3 version. If you bought the CD, they had some kind of deal where basically, if you'd bought the CD in your locker or whatever, you would have all of your old files. And it, I, I, I still think that that's what they should do with eBooks. Oh God, I wish I, that would change everything for me if they did that. I would. It's I, it's either too costly want, or acrobatic to do eBooks right now. I can do it and spend right. a lot of money, or I can do it and run a lot of Python. But it's it's just it's such a pain for the experience of justified text. Ugh. 
But I want the paper book. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. I wish they would do that. Well, but anyway, the, the, the thing is, like, going to open that up, right. and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't remember buying, like, half of these albums. And so many of the albums are from the early, mid-2000s, so, like, 2002, 2005. And you could even see at that point, so many of the songs that are in my locker represent CDs that I bought as a court of last resort, where, like, every one of these artists, I can see the eye-rolling that went through my mind where I was like, Okay, they're not gonna have this at a store. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, or I'm not gonna be able to download this from somewhere. If I want this, you know, Fairport Convention album, I'm gonna have to buy this CD. And I got it. I took it out. I ripped it, and then the CD went into a pile. And now all those right. ghosts are coming back to me, and it's so strange to see that transition. I can't tell you the last time I bought a CD. I mean, do you remember the last time you bought a CD? No, it's. I don't, I don't even know where to go to get a CD at this point, apart from Amazon. I, I saw Amy bought one. Amy bought one. It might have been the new Tom Petty album, <laughs> That's but maybe adorable. she didn't even. Maybe she didn't even buy it though. Maybe she's in like this, like a fan club, so she can get like like oh, tickets and sense. stuff like that. Yeah. And maybe they just sent it to her. Maybe they. I think that maybe maybe because she pays an annual fee to be in the fan club, they sent her the CD. I don't. But know. But it's strange though. You talk about you know. You, I even remember in like really starting, especially in the mid to late nineties. I guess the, the box sets, right? You're going to really appeal to the collectors. So the Dinglings, like you and me, we're not only going to have all these albums, now we're going to rebuy them because they're remastered yeah. and come with a booklet. And they and they and it, it comes with a booklet. Yeah, and sure. A, and a special a special version Bonus of the tracks, of isolated vocals. You know. Yeah. And some of those are I had great. The, the Beach Boys one. The Led Zeppelin. Oh, the Led had, Zeppelin one's pretty good, huh? Led Zeppelin one was excellent. Uh, the Police one was pretty good, I remember. Oh, the Police sounded like homemade shit when they when the CDs first came out. I remember in particular, yeah. <laughs> they really, very first hearing like Outlando's Demore, it sounded like somebody was running some kind of uh, air pressure gun in the background. <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, but now I mean I, suddenly I feel like Rip Van Winkle. I woke up and even th- even I am different now. Like you, th- my only point being that like there was a time when like you could fancy yourself a collector. You were a CD collector and you collected them and you put them on the shelves in a certain order and you you know make them look pretty. And for me, the last gasp of that has been like like I say, there's this app I use. So Music Brains with a Z dot org is a really good site for finding metadata. They've got metadata on pretty much any audio you could ever want. It's like the basic, you know, there's, you've got these for different kinds of media. That's the one to go to for music stuff. And they have an app called Picard. Um, this kind of janky, but cool app where you can drop a bunch of MP3s on and you pick which album version that is. And it, it's super smart about getting your metadata right. And I feel like in my head, that right there, me getting a record that I got somewhere and dropping it into Picard is the last gasp of me as a music owning collector. Me sweating yeah. the metadata on that because at this point I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, matched, uploaded, re- you know, rejected. Like I don't even care anymore. Like I signed up for Beats Music and now most of it is there, and all of a sudden all of these files are like virtually meaningless and I haven't missed it. It totally, as somebody who is, has been obsessed with music for 40 years, I can't believe how much I think I could live without almost all of that stuff, and it's really weird. Yeah. It's I'm exactly there with you where I, I used to have it, you know, I didn't I didn't buy a compared to most of my friends probably probably bought fewer CDs than many of them. But I certainly had a lot. I remember, you know, in college thinking and it was absolutely positively no hyperbole that most of my liquid net worth mm-hmm. was tied up in CDs. CDs and books. I, I would, mean, first thing know, I when I meet somebody, go to their dorm room or later apartment. Very first thing I do was look at their books 
and look at their CDs and see like how much I could learn about them from looking at like how they organized their CDs. Did they organize their CDs? What books did they have? Did they have which ones were obviously much read and which ones were untouched? Books didn't have the resale value, though, that CDs did. Because you could, what you could do for <laughs> CDs when you were strapped for cash right. is sell a couple. You know, you'd find a couple that you haven't listened to for a while, and you'd get, you know, six, seven bucks for them. You know, and then they, you could buy the used ones for like nine ninety nine. You know, there was, you know, a little bit of arbitrage in there. But you could, you could take four or five CDs into the CD store and then come out with, yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. But, but, you know, it wasn't more than a few years ago that I remember hearing like, it seemed revolutionary, even in maybe my child's lifetime, it seemed revolutionary to me that there was a service where you could mail or drop off all of your CDs. And now get ready for this, because what they're gonna do is they're gonna rip all of those at high quality, get the right <laughs> metadata on them, and then send them back to you on a hard drive. Like, I, I swear to Christ, it seems like about five years ago, that still seemed amazingly innovative. And now that seems like the craziest Rube Goldberg machine I've ever heard in my life. It would be like <laughs> alphabetizing my recycling. Like, why would I do that today? <laughs> I don't know. Speaking about podcasts and the length of podcasts, uh, I have one more sponsor to thank. Our fourth and final sponsor. Um, brand new up-and-comers. Uh, I believe it's the first time they've sponsored a podcast. It's a company called Squarespace. Is that a startup, John? That is a startup. Hmm. Where are they based? Um, I guess... Are they in Silicon Valley, John? Uh, I think that they're on the internet. Huh. Um, Squarespace is an all-in-one way to create, edit, design, modify your own website. Now, you guys know they're not new. They're old. They've been here for a while. They're the probably preeminent podcast sponsor out there. Um, but the fact is I've spoken to them that people keep signing up. People keep needing, you know, it's like a funny thing because people, you know, you make a website, you know, I have daring fireball. It keeps, you know, it's just the same thing, but people keep coming up with new ideas for websites and more and more and more. A lot of people are going to Squarespace first to set them up um, because it really is an incredibly adaptive platform for creating very, very different types of sites, blogs, podcasts, awful lot of podcasts are hosted from Squarespace. Mine is. Um, uh, it's a great, it's you just You go, you, go you create a post, you attach a piece of media, and now you've officially become a podcaster. It's that simple. Right, and all the crazy stuff like getting an RSS feed that iTunes is going to be satisfied with, it's, it all just pops out the other end. But if you're a photographer or, and you want to set up a gallery site uh, or a huge thing, big and growing is their commerce features where you can set up a shop for anything, whether you're selling t-shirts or here's like an example in right here on their site where they show it, um, a company that makes neckties for gentlemen, uh, just go there. If you haven't done it, just go there and just look at their like gallery of example sites of things built with Squarespace. And you almost can't believe that they're all built using the same platform because each one is so unique and different and original and fitting for what the purpose is, whether it's like a, a, a graphic designer who's setting up a gallery of their work or somebody who is selling uh, custom high-end coffee makers or something like that, all of it. Now, that brand new version seven of their platform, uh, better than ever. They have all sorts of information on the site. I can't even get into how many ways that it's better, um, but just really, really cool company. Really great. 
And it's just, if you have an idea for a website of any kind, your own podcast, selling stuff, starting a blog, uh, can't recommend highly enough that you go there because you're going to save so much time setting it up. And it's really, really great. And they have award-winning technical support that's I probably fundamental, even better, more than the design of their platform itself. It's the tech support that I think probably keeps them as successful as they are because it's the hardest thing to get right. Uh, 24-7 customer support. They've got people in New York, uh, I think it's Dublin, somewhere in Europe, and uh, now Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. so that more or less covers the globe. Maybe, maybe if you're Ben Thompson and you live in Taipei, maybe, you know, it's... He lives in Taipei? Yeah. Yeah, he's over in Taipei. Oh, I thought you meant so, like a Taipei personality. Oh, no, no, he's in Taiwan. Hmm. Um it's funny. It's always it's always funny trying to schedule a time to record a show with him because that's again talking uh, time zones. When you record with Ben Thompson, he's he's like in tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love how grossed out you are. Um, where do you go to find out more for Squarespace so that they know you came from here? Here's what you do. They've got two things. Uh, here's the URL: squarespace.com/gruber. Just my last name, squarespace.com slash Gruber. Go there, check them out. Look at the new stuff that they've got with the version 7 of this. Now, when you sign up, use this code, JG, just my initials, JG, and you'll save 10% off. Uh, my thanks to Squarespace. Seriously, if you have an idea for a website, go there and check it out. You're going to get a better-looking site and save tons and tons of time uh, at a great place. Can I say one thing, John? Here's yeah. the thing about Squarespace. Squarespace is probably for you, and you don't realize it yet, but I can almost promise you, if it's not for you, I pretty much can promise it's for somebody you know. So even if you are like a total code-slinging, daring fireball nut job, just remember there's somebody in your life who's not that great at that and does not want to have to go restart my sequel or something. And like that's yeah. that might be who Squarespace is for in your life. And if you've ever had to sit there and babysit a site that you've set up for somebody, like this is going to be the answer to your prayers. It is so great yeah. and so fast to set people up. So even if it's not exactly for you, the listener, please keep in mind it could be perfect for somebody that you know. Did you hear the testimonial that uh, Marco had a couple weeks ago on ATP mm -hmm. where he was talking about it? He's, you know, somehow involved with the, the preschool for their son, you know, like, a, like the, the equivalent of PTA yeah. and that the school was going to have a fundraiser and they wanted to set up a new website like um, for this thing with the kids school. And they had like a budget of like four or five thousand dollars or something, which is a lot of money for like a, you know, mm -hmm. donation run. PTA. And and Marco, of course, being Marco, I, me, I sort of rolled my eyes. Marco stood up and he was like, you guys are nuts. You guys should just I heard, give me a day. And he like went and set up a Squarespace for the PTA and, you know, it was like 10 bucks a month and set it up and came back and like the next week's meeting, it was like, here, here here's the thing. And it's everything that you guys were budgeting $5,000 for. And now it's $10 a month and it just runs. It's, it's, it's and, totally true. Yeah. And, and like what he said is that he did it. He did invest a little bit of time to get it up and running and pick a template and get the thing set up and configure it. But now it just And you runs. don't have to write it documentation. Just, you don't have to write right. five pages. We went through this with my kids preschool where like I've always been like, look, you don't need to know what I do for a living. You don't need to know I'm on Twitter. You need to know, go put me over here to pull weeds and pick up cat poop with headphones on and I will be happy. Please do not put me on the IT committee. Somehow I ended up getting involved with the website and they had so much sunk cost in this really, really stupid website that nobody ever used and nobody knew how to update. They were, so basically my job became like track down the person who knows the password, find the person who knows the password, get enough privileges that we can SSH in, 
and like it's you're like look here's the thing have somebody spend one hour literally copying and pasting text from the pages that are up send that to me and i will have a website for you by tonight and then we'll never speak of it again <laughs> and it's like it's, it's a game changer Right. I honestly, I think you're exactly right that that's the key. That's, that's the thing to take away with Squarespace is even if you don't have a need right now, file them away in your back pocket for when you need to set up a website for someone and then you don't want to, you don't want to, like you said, you don't want to have to that's restart the That's the back channel server. secret of Squarespace. It's for people who maybe in some cases could make a site not that well, not stand up that well, but they certainly do not want to have to be maintaining their church's website in perpetuity. Right. Well, we did it. We uh, went over, went over uh, two and a half bucks here. Two thirty-five, buddy. People like it. I don't. If like I said, I mean it sincerely. Go to you know, write write to me at the daring fireball email thing. Uh, you know, there's a link on the website. And let me if you really hate these long episodes, let me know because nobody else is saying that. People are saying they really dig it. Um, you know, I think of it as, you know, I like I said, I do. It seems like I do about forty episodes a year, but they've gotten longer. So I'd, I I am podcasting it's probably because more of the time change. Time. Some of them probably went 24 hours wrapped around the international dateline. There's probably some of your episodes that are that are still playing somewhere, like all the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm to me, it, the funniest moment on this whole recording was that that sad sound you made when I said that when you talk to Ben Thompson, he's in tomorrow. You were so grossed out. <laughs> it's, you know, I've <clears throat> I've spent a lot of years trying to figure out a lot of things, John, and there are some little bits of crud that still just get stuck in the machine. And when I try to imagine people who are living on a different day, it just makes me fucking angry. Right. I hate it. it. Was like, I don't understand it. I don't. I don't understand it. I've been. Oh, I mean, it's like when you find out that the dinner is going to be like, uh, uh, you know, like when the the whole the actual pig's head. <laughs> it's a delicacy. Right. Mm. And you're just not prepared for that level. No, no, no. It's like somebody hands you. Oh, you say, "Can I have a sprite?" Or you say, "Like you say, like, uh, can I have a, a like a Coke?" And they hand you a diet Dr. Pepper. And you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. uh, That's not what I signed up for. Right. <laughs> well, I think we helped a lot or, of people today. I had to, we always help people. I do think that that's it's when you and I get together, it's a public service. Just can we get a final update on your internet? Internet? How are things going? Did they fix the cones? Everything good? Are they? Uh, I still didn't get a text from them, but um, my other machine here is on the Wi-Fi, and it it is seems to be running. Nice. We waited them out. Oh man! I don't know if the dog. I don't know if the dog <laughs> ever caught, caught the, the cat. <laughs> ever caught the cat. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. It's been too long. It has been too long. I'm. Uh, I'm. It's. Uh, it's always a lot of fun to do. I really enjoy your show, and uh, it's always great to be here. Do you think there's a branding angle on the dogs and cats? Like maybe they've got like a maybe they have like a commercial that involves a dog chase. You know, it. It's too random. I'll, I. I got one thought. Um, they needed something to be in motion. It was so clearly composited from stock art. So let's just, click, when people get, I, I want you guys to really take some time to go look at this. And I want you to realize that he's on a ladder behind an orange cone to nowhere. He's going to nowhere. They needed some dynamism in it. So what, you could either have a horse galloping, you could have a dog chase a cat, maybe you could have something falling from a roof, like a, a satellite dish, ooh, burn. Like, I don't know. I think the dog and the cat are there for dynamism. I guess so. That's, that's part of the, that's that's part of the Xfinity of. experience. I really hope, I hope that whoever made that graphic, that somebody, you know, worked probably right here in Philadelphia, uh, 
working in the Comcast Tower, you know, with a graphic design job and an art, you know, an art degree and dreams of, of a good job, listens to our show and knows just how, how much joy they brought into our life making a graphic that maybe while they were making it was a bit of a drudgery. Because <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, it really made my day. Me too, man. I just did the drop shadow by the cone was really, really absorbing for me. If I can get over the idea of where that guy lives in China, I might be thinking about that when I'm sleeping tonight. <laughs> oh, fucking pig's head. Merlin Man, let's tell people where they can find out. Where where can they get more? Uh, just you can go to MerlinMan.com. You can Google me. I'm on Twitter, but you shouldn't follow me. Um, go listen to Roderick on the Line. It's a really good show. RoderickOnTheLine.com. But that's, uh, that's I'm out there. Yeah. People who need more uh, more podcasts, that would be the one to start Lots with. Lots of productivity uh, tips and tricks. Life hacks. Yeah. <laughs> Life hack. <laughs> you you want to learn how to hack your life? Help you with your life hacks. Uh, thank you, Merlin. Thank you, buddy. Anytime. All right. I'm going to hit stop. Okay. And then we upload.